This is the moment you've all been waiting for. It's time for Impostance! Hey, I think we should open the episode with that. I think I'm going to retire impulsive. But that said, I am starting a new show this year. So you're all hired <laughs> immediately. <laughs> Caleb, you're hired. Dylan, you're on the show. I'm here to wow. tell you today. Yep, you're host. This is your big break, <laughs> dude. Unbelievable. Well, this show's over. Uh, this is the last episode. Thank you for watching it. Uh, this is Impulsive, the number one podcast in the world. Thank you guys for listening, watching, viewing, and subscribing. If you're not subscribed, hit that button for us. Yeah, man, I'm over it. I don't want to do this anymore. You go through peaks and valleys, you know. It's like uh, nooks, <laughs> nooks and crannies, like the English muffins. You're not, you know, every day is not a, a good day. Well, it's not just me. Our co-host didn't even show up. Like, you, you, the the interest is dying. Yeah. We can't even get the people we pay to show up, who, well, who own a percentage of the show, to show up. I mean, the interest is dying, but... We just got a, a whole bunch of new brand deals? Yeah. Oh, all right. Well, uh, wow, I love this show. This show is awesome. I could do, do the we'll, show for the we'll, rest of my life. Literally, probably dude. will be. Holy <laughs> shit. I'm joking, guys. We'll never leave, ever. We'll be entertaining you or making you pissed off. Or every, making you bleed. Or making you Something. bleed every single week. What are you doing moving to chair, Bruce Buffer? Look at Bruce Buffer. <laughs> look at him. Look at him. Caleb, look. Look at him. Caleb. Caleb, if you don't look at Bruce Buffer. <laughs> why, is it, why are you moving to chair? So uh, what? So, so what? George is George is flying in. Oh, he's here, George. No, no, no. He, he's he's on his way. Okay. He's he's coming to the podcast. He had a flight get rerouted. Um, when it rains even it just a little bit in L.A., everyone panics. Flights get rerouted, and uh, no one knows what to do, and they start tweeting. You see any good tweets? No, I try to stay off Twitter. Yeah, not the best place, huh? In general, absolutely not. It really is, is it? I would say it might potentially be the most toxic platform. Yeah, no shit, it's dark. What is the deal? I thought like Elon was going to come save it. I'll tell you. I'll tell you what the deal is. Yeah. When you give every fucking idiot on this planet a voice and they can collectively gather themselves together as a group of idiots, you have Twitter. I think you're missing the point. I think that happens on every platform. I think that happens on no. Instagram, TikTok. No, where's the too? retweets say, on Instagram? Nah, nah, nah. Where's the, the retox on TikTok? Is, the difference is you could share on Instagram. Can't the difference is on Twitter. You can't re Instagram. You can't re real. It's not the people that are the problem. It's the it's the anime PFPs. You know, they're not actual humans. Oh, they're anonymous. Yes, you know what they're I'm saying. They're bots. Yeah, <laughs> that's the issue. Nah, nah, nah. That place sucks. But shout out Elon. You're doing great. I don't know. All right. That's true either. Our guest today, I'm going to try to do this like him. Our guest today is the voice of the UFC and even a second degree black belt himself. Put your back I, into I can't it, do it. Bro. What is that? He's a second degree black belt, having trained with none other than Chuck Norris and, of course, the brother of famous announcer Michael Buffer, but he didn't always know that. Here to tell us about that and more, it's time for Bruce Buffer! <laughs> I tried. I tried. Yeah, welcome to the show, brother. Hey, welcome to the show. Hey, yeah. yeah, normally we have a fourth, a third, a third right there. He'll be on his way here. Uh, yeah, he's just a little late. He'll be here. Flight problems. 
Yep, yep, yep. You should give him shit about it when he comes in. You should. Actually, you know what? Maybe don't give him shit about it when he comes in. Sometimes when our guests bully George. Especially in this room. It's not received too well. This is the same room that George walked out of the Bobby Lee podcast. Uh, there's, some be- there's some trauma that's happened in this setting. Anyways, how are you, Bruce? I'm good. I'm good. How are you? Happy New Year. Happy New Year. Number one, yeah. Absolutely. Too, Absolutely. 2023 is off to a shit start. Uh, but that's all right. How, how, how's it for you, huh? You, feel, you feeling energized, ready to start the year? I'm energized. I was out uh, Saturday in Phoenix announcing the Fiesta Bowl. Nice. And uh, one of the greatest football, college football games I've ever seen in my life. I mean, they had 44 points scored in the fourth quarter, setting a record for college Jesus. football. It was like 94 points total, almost 100 points in the game. And it was right down to the last minute. It was just, it was awesome. It was amazing. Oh, my goodness. So I got to go out in the field in the beginning, announce halftime. And, you know, college football, I've done pro games. Because I can announce the Raider games. Yeah. There's definitely a difference in the tempo. No you know? way. Yeah, is, is, is it more exciting in college? It's it's really tremendously exciting in both. Okay. But that young blood comes out. You yeah. can just feel it. You know, just yeah. the emotion and everything. It's pretty wild. You a fan of any college football team specifically? Uh, you know what? Not really anybody specific. I mean, I'm an old Philadelphia boy. So, you know, Penn State, you know, I always like seeing USC. But it's like announcing fighters. I'm an equal opportunity announcer. So whoever does the best job, me, the best team, the best man, best woman. Are you, are you a Birds fan? Yes. Being from Philly, so big time. Me too. <laughs> big time. So I, Eagles from, forever. Yeah, Sorry, Raiders, but they know that already too. Eagles forever. They're playing great this this year. I don't know what will happen be- between now and the time this goes out, but like they've been playing great. Jalen Hurts being out was a little problematic. What a name, Hurts, and he's hurt. But you know, it's like <laughs> his shoulder. I mean, they've lost two games. They got to get home field advantage coming this Sunday. So do you put him in? Do you leave him out? No, he has to play. You know, he's he, got to play. He, what's the, the backup dude's name? Mention or whatever. Yeah, he's just not. He's not it. Like they need, we need Hertz. Well, there's the it factor, and Hertz has it. Like, yeah, like Logan's sure. got it. Hertz got it. Oh, I don't even know if Logan really. Has I don't it. think so. His brother, my he, that guy's good <laughs> and what undefeated. You, oh, your brother Jake? Yep, the opposite of me, just defeated. Uh, well, you know what? Defeated or not, <laughs> everybody's a winner. Whether you lose or win, I mean, the, the, if it's a great event, you win. Yeah, yeah. You know, I I'm like gonna that. keep saying that yeah, to I like myself. That. That's nice, Bruce. Listen, for those of you who don't know Bruce, you know Bruce. Uh, you are the voice of the UFC and I'm actually going to take that even a step further and say you're the life of the UFC. Oh, dude, thank you. When thank I you. first met you at Dan Bilzerian's party. <laughs> <laughs> when I first met you there, I was so excited cuz I've been a UFC fan my whole life. That's my sport. I love combat sports. Right. And I see how much effort and how much heart you put into your job thank you you get me fired <laughs> up I, i've been saying it for years i think you're probably like one of the hardest working people in the business i you know i think i'm the only announcer announcer that loses maybe three or four pounds of, of uh, water weight by the end of the night seriously i'm throwing it in i i've got to do it when i started out everybody wanted to be like my legendary brother the greatest announcer of all time michael buffer okay mm-hmm. and let's just put it on the table is that and when i started out i would stay still and i'd be reading the cards and working on my voice. And I, no offense to the announcers out there, including my brother, but it just, it was boring to me. Mm. I had this tiger in here that just needed to get released. And then I started doing other events where I'd, cause I mean, I used to bang a lot. I, I definitely had my share of the fighting world. And I know what these fighters go through and stuff. So I wanted to introduce them the way I would want to be introduced. Mm. And it just evolved like an evolutionary process to where Either they're getting in my face or I'm getting in their face or they want a fist bump. I never instigate the fist bump. That's them coming at me. Yep. But it's such an amazing compliment of respect that they allow me in their space, right? Because they could easily just go, boop, mm. you know, get out of here, right? <laughs> um, but it just evolved over time. And, and I always said it's not what I say, it's how I say it. 
So I put every bit of passion, emotion, I give them everything to enhance that moment for them because they're about to put their blood, sweat, and tears on the line in their lives, right? I've done that show with, I've blown my ACL the night before I had to do three UFCs in a row, three days in a row. The doctor said, stay in bed for a week. No, I went in there and did it on one leg. Oh I've, I've blown out back, 103 degree temp. It doesn't, it doesn't matter. I can always get my job done. They're fighting, okay? There's a big difference. Like Dana White said, you'd have to shoot me to keep me out of the octagon. No way. Has anybody ever tried that before? They tried to keep me out. They haven't tried to shoot me yet because I, I shoot back, so it's okay. <laughs> That's, uh, you are fiery. You're fiery, dude. That's what I love about you. And uh, uh, when I met you, I, again, I was just I was so excited, and I'm proud to say. Then after having some dinners with you, we exchanged yeah. numbers and stuff. Uh, you are just as cool, if not much fucking cooler, as I thought you'd be in my head. Wow, you're one of those people that when people meet you, they're even they're blessed with more than their image that they had of you. Wow, Logan, you make that door a little wider, my head's gonna be a little bigger <laughs> here. No, you're dope. I mean, I mean, uh, the story about your brother, I, I wanna get into it a little bit. I know, I know you told it a thousand times, but. But thank you very much for your words. It means a lot to me. I mean, I met you, I knew about you before, I just have to interrupt for a second. And you're a gentleman, you're cool, we get along. I can call ourselves friends. Mm. And um, that's, you know, I love it. We text each other once yeah. in a while. You know, I'm, all, I'm in your corner all the time. I love everything that you do, and I think you do it incredibly well. Thank you, man. I'm, I'm just Should trying. I leave? Do you guys want to, like, no, I go mean, to, like, a back room or something like that? Like, <laughs> we, well, what's good? Dude? Well, we've like, had a little bit of a relationship over there. I know. Year. I'm just yeah. kidding. And, and I, and I've had dinner with you guys. You guys are, have a ton of fun together. It's, it's, uh, it's, it's awesome to see. I mean, you guys are in a similar space. Both have love for the fight game, and, you know, there's a lot of overlap there. There's, you know, the... The passion shows. I mean, we both wear it on our sleeve for what for we sure. do. For sure. I mean, I'll always, I tell, I'll be the first one to cash the paycheck at the bank on a Monday morning, but I'm not always about the paycheck. Right. I mean, I was when we had to be, you know? <laughs> but it's about what I'm doing. It's the experience. It's, it's, I can tell you so many different experiences I've had in and out of the octagon over the 28 years I've been doing this, which will be 20, 27, 27 years in February. That would actually be awesome if you could. Is there one that sticks out to you more than any other moment? If you look at your entire reign of of uh, announcing in that octagon like one that really sticks out to you, a moment that you felt in in your heart was like the moment for you probably when i blew my acl in front of fifty five thousand people in in you can relate <laughs> you can relate to that yeah that kind of like was an experience i didn't fall like you know um god bless the football players but at least it didn't fall i still stayed i still stayed up but no you know what all kidding aside it's like asking me what the greatest fight is. Who's the greatest fighter? It's impossible. Superlative. I can only give you examples of great fights and yeah. great fighters. Yeah. The moment I think I've seen the greatest fight, two weeks, two months later, I'm seeing the greatest fight. Yeah. You know, and that's the beauty of our job. I mean, we as participants are in an experience where we get excited because I'm a fan first and an announcer second. Period. I think you have to be. For you what have you to do. be. Yeah. You have to be. But I've had so many other experiences in so many different sports. You know, whether it's watching Michael Jordan uh, sick as a dog uh, before the flu game, scoring six points, having my brother announce it as his manager, I'm Michael's manager, going out and watching him come out in the second half and scoring over 40 points and winning the NBA championship and being on the court with them as they're celebrating and it's all coming down. And, you know, these are moments you just can't forget. Mm. You know, it's unbelievable. Did, did, did a lot of them ever, like, bleed into each other <laughs> to a point where, like, at some point in your life where you had to stop for a second and, and pause and just like really recollect and take in the fact that you just witnessed 20 plus years of carnage and awesomeness. That's one of the reasons why I wrote my book almost 10 years ago, because I, as you go on and you'll find this out too, being as young as you are, um, I'm 65, you know, I've been around a long time 
and I wrote the book to remember what I've forgotten, you mm-hmm. know? And that's what was so much fun about putting my heart on the table and writing my book, my biography, or autobiography, whatever you want to call it. Um, it's time because it allowed me to relive those moments, you know? I think that's so important. I'm so glad you did that because yeah. kind of reiterating what he said, there has to be a point where you're just numb to seeing the most epic moments in sports history yeah. back to back to back to back to back. And in a way, there's two of you. You have, your, again, your brother, Michael. So right. you, you guys get to feed off each other. I know that feeling. I have oh. a brother of my own and you guys exactly. get to feed off each other and amplify each other. And so like documenting that has been amazing. I, I uh, If I could read, I'd read your book, Bruce. <laughs> <laughs> Is there an audio book? No, and he's trying to. Don't you think I would have an audio book? Listen, yeah, like what? What's that all you about? You need to do your own audio book. So I, I wrote a book. I've, I did the audio for it as well. It will take you twenty hours plus in the studio to do it, but it will. It'll be a full new boost of sales, and it will. It will mean a lot. To you got a connection people. to make it happen. Absolutely, I'm giving Easy. you the job and the commission. Got you, bro. Go ahead. Go got for you. It. Easy. We are proud to announce Raycon is back as a partner on this show. This is the time of the year everyone's talking about making big changes, which is all well and good, but most of the time. Pretty unrealistic. Mike already broke his 75 hard. Dang. (laughs) But sometimes the smallest changes can make the biggest impact. In the same way, you don't have to break the bank to make a big deal purchase like the Raycons here. Raycon is premium audio at the perfect price point, so you can build great habits without breaking the bank. Whether you're looking for a pair of everyday earbuds, low-latency gaming headphones, or a speaker with a battery that will last all night at your next party, Raycon has got you covered. And yep! Raycon start at half the price of other premium audio brands, and Raycon is priced so right you can get a pair and a spare and still pay less than you would with some of the other guys. Even if you know you'll love your Raycons as much as I do, Raycons want to make sure you'll feel great about the purchase. So they offer buy now, pay later options. Every purchase has an easy and free return guarantee. And here's some of my favorite qualities of Raycon. Custom gel tips for the perfect, most comfortable in-ear fit so they don't fall out of the gym. Crystal clear quality water and sweat resistance ready to buy something with a big impact go to buyraycon.com slash logan today to get 15 percent off your raycon order that is buyraycon.com slash logan to score 15 percent off back to the program i think documenting just for any human being and this is just like an overall note is super important like so much stuff happens in one's life um it's part of the reason i love filming so much mm-hmm. and have my whole life is you know you don't get those moments back and no. you you will forget them the human brain is is just like a memory card it has a capacity absolutely and, and you're going to hit that gigabyte capacity one day and then start missing and losing moments that are really important too yeah. but you just forgot cuz you can't remember that much you know I'll, i'm i've been a meditator since i was in my 20s and stuff and you oh. know i'll sit back and and all of a sudden these things these thoughts these experiences will come into my head whether it's in professional or in my private life and it's like Wow, really? Oh my God, I forgot about that. You know? Oh, that's aw- that's awesome. I've been I've I've wanted to get into it myself, but I've hit like the those like uh, initial guardrails or like obstacles in trying to actually get to a point where I'm in that state. How long did it take you before you got to a point where you actually could experience like some sort of positive from it? I it was relatively easy for me at first because I went to what they call an ashram and I studied under somebody. And, oh, nice! And then they gave me my mantra, which I've never told anybody what my mantra is. You know the word you repeat to yourself awesome well exclusive yeah. right here on uh impulsive today the mantra is can't tell you damn it can't tell i mean he had a long line of people and he might have told every one of us the same word it doesn't matter it's my mantra. yeah don't ever tell anybody. i don't want to violate that i've never told anybody and do you do that every day do you wake up in the morning and do it I, you know it depends on what i feel it's a great stress relief if you're worn out or tired you know both of us are on the road For doing sure. what we do a good uh 
30 minutes of meditation is like get, taking a two hour nap if you do it right. Speaking of two hour nap, George Janko, <laughs> everybody. I, 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 I'm so sorry for being late. I apologize. No, it's okay. It was You're Southwest. Fine. Okay. <laughs> it's not your fault, Georgie. At all. Air, airline yeah. issues. Okay, I, 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 was, I was sweating about it because I have the worst problems with, uh, with planes. It's all right. Your cool beer makes up for it. So Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> I feel kind of shaven today. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You, you ever have one? Great for 65. Thank you. You're 65? Yeah. 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 So I got my six pack. Yeah, yeah. So I wanted to talk about that because you, you just mentioned meditating. I, I, I know you've been mindful about meditation and, and, and uh, protecting your mental fortitude, uh, but physically as well. You're like, you're super active. Yes. You have to be. Have to be. Is, have it, to. is it because of how intense you're going when you, when you do your job? No. Well, you know, it's, it's that, but I mean, I was always, listen, I've always trained. I grew up the, the point break lifestyle. I, you know, we, we trained martial arts, we surf, we fought, you know, which like, that was the whole thing. I never even lifted weights until my twenties. To me, it was a hundred, 200 pushups a day, maybe some arm curls and surfing, you know? And, um, you know, other things I like to do, whether it's, it was football, I was a water polo player. I was a, a swimmer, you know, on the swim team. I, went, I graduated Santa Monica high. So I was always into being athletic and I knew the importance of it. So I maintained it to me. It's 75% what you eat and 25% how you train. Mm. Right. And we all throw it off. You know, we all fall off the wagon on the food wagon, but that's okay. That's life. You got to enjoy yourself. Yeah. But I used to train to compete. Now I train to get older and to travel. Last thing I want to be is an 80-year-old man where I can't have a quality of life doing what I want to do. The, the way I move around the octagon now, I'm still moving around the same way I moved around 25 years ago. And 10 years from now, when I'm 75, I guarantee you, barring any situation, then I'm going to be the same way. And the moment that my passion wanes or I can't physically do what I want to do, then it's time to say, hey, I'm done. And are you willing to be honest with yourself should that moment happen? Absolutely. Really? I've told myself that I have to be. I have to be. I have a number of areas like you that we make our revenue out of, but my passion wearing the UFC on my chest, you know, like a logo of pride, I never want to give that up. Be honest with me. Has it ever waned for a second? Have you ever had a lull where you felt stagnant in what you were doing? In the UFC or in my life? In UFC. Uh, the stagnant probably happened before the Fertitas and Dana White bought it. I mean, I realized that we could almost be out of business. We went from having packed houses of five, 10,000 or more people being the top 10 fasting, fastest growing pay-per-view on uh, direct TV and everything to uh, Senator McCain calling us human cockfighting and all. And we were taken off the air and kept alive by direct TV and kept alive, thank God, by the internet and the fans on the internet. And then I remember doing an event in Louisiana and there was only 1500 people in the audience and Kevin Randleman was the main event. If you remember Kevin Randleman, mm -hmm. who died uh, a number of years ago, a uh, great wrestler. And so he, he was coming out and he slipped on a pole in the back and fell and knocked himself out, right? So we couldn't have a main event. So I'm suddenly, I'm getting ready to go. And they go, Buff, you got to tell him there's no main event. Why? Yeah. Kevin Randleman's knocked out. He can't come out. Tell him, tell him, tell him. Told him it's like bottle and can flying time. I realized uh. we're at the lowest point ever. Uh. Um, and it really, it just seemed bleak. I thought, you know, I was always into it, always ready to do it, but I think the machine was about to fall. Right. Then I get a call from the owner, Robert Meyerowitz at the time. And he says, Bruce, I've got some good news and some bad news. And he said, well, the bad news is I sold the UFC. The good news is I sold it to Dana White and the Fertitta brothers, and they want to keep you and big John McCarthy. And I said, oh, I'm really sad to see you go, but. <laughs> <laughs> and then I was at a boxing event 
um, because I used to do undercards and boxing on HBO when I, you know, as a man, my brother's manager, I did them because I enjoyed doing it, but I was also taking names and taking numbers and making deals, you know, on the side. Networking. That's where you got it. Yeah, networking. So uh, they took us to a really nice restaurant and they put out Opus One wine on the table. And I'm like, whoa, I like this. I like their style. And I realized the passion in the Fertitta brothers and the passion in Dana White. And I thought, now my whole energy, my whole passion was just relit. Hmm. So yes, if I was stagnant, it was back then. Since then, working under Dana White and the whole UFC machine has been nothing but a great rocket ship just constantly going uphill and I've got a first class seat. How can you not love that? Yeah, it's been a crazy journey. The, tra- just- the travel gets to me once in a while. Oh, is that yeah. one of the things that does it? I can imagine. We we travel a lot. It's hard. But before before you bounce into the Dana White era, I just, because I'm sure we won't talk a lot about it, but just before you get that phone call about the purchase and you're in these like dark days, Louisiana, 1500s, people knocking themselves out on, out on poles. <laughs> is there something you were doing, uh, a message you were delivering to yourself, something you were doing to keep your head in the game, to keep showing up every night for the people watching this that might be in a dark place in their job, in their profession, in their career? Is there something that you were doing to keep you in the game? Here's my attitude. The show is not about me. It's about the fighters, okay? And my attitude is that every night I walk out, even three weeks ago, next week at the Apex, two weeks from now in Rio de Janeiro, it's my very first night. I treat every night like my very first night. I have to prove to myself the powers that be, the fans, the fighters, that I deserve this job. Mm. I don't, you will never hear me talk about my laurels. Oh, I did this. I did a 360, you know, 10 years ago and, you know, did this. I'm not that kind of guy, right? I'm only as good as today. And I got to prove it to myself every day. And that's where it's time comes from. I used to wake up in the morning, just shave and go, it's time, you know, to be the best I can be today. I'm a very self-motivated individual, which you have to be as an entrepreneur. Yeah. Because you don't always have the people around you pushing you. You've got to push yourself. And not everybody's capable of that. What made you have that mindset? Were you like at a dark place in your life? And then you're like, yo, I got to hype myself up. Uh, no, I just always been, I've been a motivator. I love, I love doing motivational speeches. I teach branding and marketing to companies, you know, before COVID, I would do appearances like that. I have kind of a three foot theory. I like everybody around me to be happy, prosperous, and healthy. And I know it'll all come back to me. Right. So I just have simple, little, simple rules in my life that I've kept and, and maintained my entire life. Where, where did you like find these rules? Like, did you just come up with them or was somebody that you looked up to taught you these or like? My, I had an amazing father, an amazing mom who's still with me. Thank God. And my dad, um, great guy. He'd walk in the room. Either the girls wanted to meet him, the guys wanted to meet him, or they wanted to fight him or whatever. You know, <laughs> just he just had this amazing charisma. He was a Marine drill instructor, served in World War II in Korea. Um, even five years old, walking in the room, I go, hi, dad. He goes, son, project your voice, shoulders back, chest out. Let them know you're in the room, right? Is that where oh, you got shit. it from? <laughs> That's where I got a lot of it from. Michael will tell you that our father has the best pipes of all of us. No way. Yeah. Uh, never graduated high school, self-taught, ran Fortune 500 companies. We moved from Mal- uh, from Philadelphia to Malibu when I was like 14, going on 15, um, which was like culture shock going out there. I never saw blonde girls running out of the beach in Atlantic from City like up here. <laughs> never saw the waves. I saw waves when I was in Beerus, France, when he took me to Europe. They took me to Europe when I was 11, I, and I said, I'm going to be a surfer someday. I've got to do the sport. So immediately I go out, I'm in Malibu, my hormones are flying, and all I'm thinking about is learning how to surf, and maybe someday I'll lose my virginity. So everything you know, did. <laughs> did, you do both? did you do both of those? Learned how to surf first. You know, I became Baywatch, and kind of everything follows. <laughs> the Michael story is fascinating. It's crazy. You and your brother have probably the best 
commentating voice in sports. Thank you. And Correction. Announcing voice. Announcing yes. voice. <laughs> Excuse me. Uh, and you didn't know that he was your brother until you were an adult? I was 29 years old. And you found out that this, that this guy who's doing kind of the same yeah. thing as you, has interests similar to you, was your brother. I wasn't doing it. I wasn't doing oh, anything. He, I'll, I'll give you a brief history. Um, getting back to my father being the entrepreneur that he, that he became, he was a writer and the whole bit. I learned my entrepreneur spirit and my warrior spirit initially came from my dad. He probably introduced me to more situations in life, got me in more fights in life than any best friend I ever had. Just old breed, right? <laughs> they don't make them like that anymore. Right, right. So um, he had me watching boxing, like almost fresh out of the womb, teaching me fighting before I went to school and saying, you're going to get stood up. They're going to try and steal your lunch money. This is what you do. And, and I did it and it worked. And it's like, I'll always listen to everything my dad tells me. So I would, when we went broke, we went broke as a family living in Malibu. We weren't rich. We moved out there where we were middle class. We lived in Trancas Canyon. All the celebrities and stars lived at the beach. Steve McQueen was a good friend of mine for the last six years of his life. I used to surf every day in front of his house. He truly was Mr. Cool. Son's still one of my best friends. Had a great growing up out there. Um, but when we went broke, when he, when he quit the Fortune 500 job, you know, making the good money to do what he loved, which is passion, he taught me how you got to roll the dice and sometimes you got to say, what the, you know what, and go for it. So he had his first book published within a year, right? And we would go, he was a big collector of military, which I'm a big collector of sports memorabilia, movie memorabilia, and uh, antique weapons and artifacts. Sick. So, yeah, you got to come on my house. Now you're talking my language. Yeah, okay, well, then we got it. I know, I know your language because I'm a big card collector. Love collecting. Yeah, was, I hope we get into a little bit of that on the show. Yeah. So we would do these shows and I would learn to cut my teeth, you know, talking to people and selling. I mean, I was selling German Lugers over a table for four or $5,000 when I was 14 years old. A lot of World War II stuff, is that? A lot, all World War II and behind. Oh, all, okay, got it. My got modern it. weapons are purely for protection. I'm, I'm into the historical stuff and it's some of the most valuable and greatest investments you can possibly make. You got like a Panzer tank or something like that. <laughs> if I had room for it, I'd have one, so yeah. But anyway, I learned how to cut my teeth there and even I, I noticed there was like a jewelry, um, booth where the guy was making at the time turquoise and hishi and coral necklaces and whatever. And I'll tell you a quick story. Um, you don't mind if I get a little wordy, I'm sorry. No, this is your podcast. podcast. You know, we come, we come, thank you. We come from, you got to learn a lot from your parents. I mean, we're, we're all samples of how we grow up. And I remember that one time I went to my mom and I said, mom, can I borrow $75? Uh, my friends and I want to go to Mammoth. I need $75 for my gas and the lift tickets and whatever. And she said, son, I don't have it. And then she came back to me the next day and handed me $75 in cash. And she said, don't tell your dad, right? My mom's not like that, right? I go, I have a good time being a young buck. Come back. Two weeks later, I wake up. It's midnight. I hear them talking in the living room. And they're talking about how they can't pay the rent that month. It's $575 in Malibu. And they can't pay the rent, right? And I went back to my room and I, I just started to cry to myself. And I thought, my mom just begged, borrowed, and steal to give me $75 and they can't pay the rent? I will never, ever ask my parents for anything else. I will take care of my parents, right? And I started a jewelry business. When I, lear I learned from this guy at the gun shows. He taught me how to make necklaces and everything. And I thought, what a great way to meet girls in high school, number one. And then I thought, oh, good way to make money. And, you love the girls. <laughs> and this is like 1974. And think about this, guys. I'm clearing like 800 a month in 1974 in high school. That's a lot of money. That's a, that's yeah. a, that's a ton. 
and and rich. there's a statute of limitations. I can tell you another story real quick. <laughs> Wait, did you get laid making that much money back then? Were you late getting laid? I'm. Then? I think that those talk don't do, and those do don't talk. So let's just leave it at that. <laughs> so there was one teacher, and it was a gym teacher because I was the water polo player and the swimmer, and I was you know I was starting team. I was CAF finals. I was. I was really into the whole thing. But then they wanted me to come in at like five in the morning and swim two miles before school every day. And I thought, screw that. It's a half hour to get from Malibu to Santa Monica High. I'm just going to relax. I want to get home and go surfing. That's going to be my workout. So they had gym class. And with respect to all the guys in gym, they're playing badminton and stuff. That wasn't my thing. I would go across the street and have breakfast, right? So later on in the this, in this semester, I'm told that I'm failing gym by the football coach who was a gym teacher. I can't mention his name, statute of limitations. <laughs> so I, I said, I, I went home, I made the most amazing necklace because I, I met his wife at one point. And I went in to talk to him, I said, you gotta pass me, I need to at least get a C. You know me, you know I'm okay in gym, you know I can run around the block. I made this for your wife. I That was when I knew my ability to negotiate a deal <laughs> was starting. I swear to God, guys, he passed me, right? I'll tell you now but I won't tell you his name. I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't think you needed the statute of limitations to protect you on that. I don't know if there's a law against that. I don't wanna, I didn't wanna get him in any trouble. Just so. imagine he's watching right now, he's like. <laughs> he starts running. <laughs> so with that and, and all that, then um, I just learned how to do business. And when I, when I graduated college, I saw, excuse me, when I went into college after high school, I saw a, a card on the job board. It's earned uh, 250 to 450 a week selling over the telephone, right? And I think all of us have had some experience in telemarketing when we were kids, right? <laughs> so I went in, I met, it was office supplies, paper and toner. I got the job, had to be there at five in the morning, work away. I became the top salesman within two weeks, you know, making great money. I saw the sales manager with his feet on the desk, making a couple thousand a week, again, back in 1976, you know, 75. It's like, think about that kind of money back then. And I thought, I want his job. I had his job within two months. <laughs> Huh. And then at 19, I left to start my own company because I thought, oh, they're driving up in their Porsches and their Ferraris, but I'm the one making all the sales. This is easy, right? So I opened up my own company. 70% of the sales force left with me because I was such a closer and a motivator mm -hmm. making the money. Mm -hmm. I wound up getting sued for a million dollars when I was 18 years old. Whoa. It was the worst summer of my for, life. For taking the employees and the business from that other That, people. that, and I learned that one of my partners who worked there took some leads you know, the Glengarry Glen Ross leads, oh took some leads God. for sales, which gave them some motivation. So their whole reason for the lawsuit was to get me back, right? So I negotiated again. I closed my company, I went back to work, had him pay me more money, had him make, make me a partner in the company, all the salespeople oh, sure. came back, so it all worked <laughs> Sure, nice. I was the wolf of LA, but I didn't hurt people or steal from people. I was just very, you know, telemarketing was a thing, and I owned a number of telemarketing companies, import-export businesses, security company, putting in, if you go down to Santa Monica on, Main Street, I probably at that time, uh, some 35 years ago, put every alarm system, camera system in every one of the establishments along Main so Street. you've been hustling. Yeah, you got the you got I've the been gene. an entrepreneur my whole life. Yeah. I didn't graduate college. I, I, I went to college that I'm doing making the money in telemarketing and I thought, okay, I'm a year in, let me stop for two years. Let me see if I can cut my teeth and make my living in the street, you know, street, street wise. And, I, and I'm, college is great. I'm not telling anybody not to go to college. But it just worked for me, and and here's the trail of adventure until I met my brother when I was 29, and then the fork in the road happened, and then I truly found what I wanted to do. Yeah. So, so what happened? Because it sounds like you had made a pretty good life for yourself. You, I was. You were successful. Yeah, I had a beach house in the Marina Peninsula. I was living the life of Charlie Sheen and Two and a Half Men, minus the alcoholism, and yeah. I was having a great time. And then, and then you meet 
Michael Buffer, who you found out was your brother. We're watching TV. Mike Tyson brought boxing back as the water cooler conversation on a Monday, the way the USC is today, and the the one to five amazing boxing events that happen a year. Um, I love boxing. It's I don't compare the two. It's apples and oranges. It's tennis and badminton. It's you know two respect both, as I respect professional wrestling. Mm. So um, watching, and out comes this debonair, handsome guy. You know, I mean, nobody looked like Michael Buffer back then. The guys great looking, dressed like James Bond, mm. doing his thing. And I'm like, wow, what a job. And then I, they put his name on the screen. And, and back when I was in telemarketing, I saw every phone book in the country. And I, as, a, as a habit, you look in the white pages to see the last name Buffer. I never saw my last name in any phone book in the United States, right? Michael Buffer, uh, what's up, right? So now without saying to my dad or anything, I started calling Bob Aram's offices, Don King's offices, and trying to find out where he grew up and who is this guy. And it turned out he grew up in New Jersey, like very close near where I grew up in Philadelphia and on and on and on. And people started stopping me in the street as he got more popular, as popular as the boxers, um, as is, as he is today. And they say, is that your brother? You know, the guy, Michael Buffer goes, let's get ready to rumble. I go, no, my brother's Brian. My brother's my older brother, two years older. And, um, but it kept happening and happening. So then my dad and I are driving up north uh, to San Francisco and I'm telling him what's going on. And I said, dad, do you have any idea who this guy is? And this is what I got. I think that's your brother. <laughs> no way. He goes, son, I never told you, you know, I've been married to your mom, you know, for uh, 35 years, whatever it was at the time. And, uh, but I never told you, my mother, your mom never told you, but when World War II, when I went over to do my part, you know, overseas as a Marine when I was 20, I was married briefly for nine months. And when I came back, a son was born and a divorce ensued. And the last time I saw him was when he was two and a half. Oh my right? God. And just one of those things, you know, send off a check to the PO box, whatever. Michael was raised by foster parents. Um, his mother passed away when he was young, like six. He was raised by foster parents. And in his words, quote, had a beautiful leave it to beaver lifestyle, had a great upbringing, the whole bit. So then I had, uh, there was an, a, a casino, the Reseda Country Club in the Valley here, where they filmed that first scene in Boogie Nights, you know, that yep. great long camera shot. So that used to, they used to have a lot of great boxing there, boxing events. The Goosen Brothers used to put on shows there all the time. Mm. And uh, he was there in a small arena, so my brother Brian and I were telling Dad, why don't you call, leave a message, right? He did, Michael called back, they got together for lunch, his son. No way. Then we come together two weeks later. We meet uh, La Trattoria. I'll never forget it. Barrington and Wilshire. Um, little Italian place on the second floor. And I'm waiting for Michael to walk in. And I'm a fan. You know, I'm a fan of this guy. Yeah. And here comes in my half-brother, who I'm a fan of. And I can't even tell you the feeling, you know, what happened. But it, we all got along great. It was amazing. And then I used to, I used to travel for my businesses or... Uh, whatever the case might be. And I would stop off in Vegas and go to the fights and Huey and I would have dinner afterwards, you know, partied up a bit, you know, two young buffers having fun in Sin City. And uh, I remember one night, it was, I know the exact date, it was November, like November 2nd or 16th, 1992. And it was Riddick Bowe and Evander Holyfield's Ooh. first fight, okay? Now we're at Thomas and Mac, and I watch everybody going crazy as he does the rumble, you know, Jack Nicholson, Hulk Hogan, losing their cookies, you know, the whole bit, I'm like, wow, something's here. You know, this is really big. He hadn't even met a hat or a t-shirt, right? So I, instead of going and partying and playing blackjack and all the stuff we love to do in Vegas, I went back to my room and it was like, my hand wouldn't stop. Uh. 
I just started writing three pages of notes and put them in the football field, the NBA field, movies, TV, video games, toys, trademark this properly. And then I read an article where Pat Riley trademarked the term three-peat when the Lakers repeated and how he made like a million and a half dollars off merchandise. And I thought, hmm, okay. So I met with trademark attorneys and Michael had already, I've been trying to get him a trademark and he did a trademark, but it wasn't, you got to, as you know, you got to trademark in different classes yeah. and yeah. make it right. It wasn't solid. It could have been stolen from him or other things because uh, it wasn't protected fully. So I met with Michael and I said, look, in so many words, said basically, Michael, I, I own two companies at the time, making the great money, living the two and a half men lifestyle like yeah. I was kidding about earlier. And it was incredible money. I was making incredible money. I was burned out. And when we talk about passion, I was burned out. I wasn't waking up going, it's time. I was waking up going, oh, God. God, it's uh, time already. It's time, <laughs> yeah, time already. Oh, do this, uh, telemarketing, and this, that, and the other. So I just met with Michael. I said, look, Michael, I'm, I've had an epiphany. I want to make you richer and more famous than you ever dreamed, hopefully myself in the process. And I want to keep the HBO boxing ring as a base, and I'm going to build so many things out of this for you. But to do this, I have to become your manager and whatever that entails. But if I create video games, toys, movies, as we've done over the years, I'm your partner. Cool. Okay, can, can you pause for one second? How long have you known him for at this point? I say we're probably three years in. Oh, okay, three years. <laughs> yeah. three, three weeks. But, but still, but three, three years is, is long but short in terms of like a new brotherhood, right? So, yeah. so what, was, what was his like reaction like? Cause you're his like new, always but new kind of brother like who all of a sudden is pitching him and by the way you're also like a great telemarketer so like what is his reaction to this like, i can sell you? an air conditioner to an eskimo okay. okay let's just be real but, but it's we knew each other enough in that three four year period and respect each other he respected my business trust you yeah well i'm i'm listen i'm i everything i say is honest you play poker against me i'm gonna lie through my teeth i want every one of your chips i want to talk about that later i'm a big poker player. yeah yeah we know. so um with that being said, he knew that I, he he knew my character. He knew who I am. Sure. He realized the beauty of our family, the family unit we are. And Michael likes to make money, and of course he wanted to make money, but he never hired an agent. You know, he did everything himself. And you, it, that's micromanaging. You do things yourself, and you can only go so far. You know, it's like the old story: I'd rather have one percent of a hundred people's efforts than a hundred percent of my own. So that's what I just you know showed him about. And basically, without signing a piece of paper, we we each put in five grand. We started the buffer partnership. We never put another dime in the bank account since then. And I went out and I would go to trade shows, uh, toy shows in New York, whatever, on my own ticket. At that time, you know, it cost me $15 to go to Kinko's to make the big promo kits that I had. And walking up, you know, I'm Bruce Buffer, Michael Buffer, you know, let's get ready to rumble. You should put it on this and put it on that. And maybe make this, maybe make that. Within a year, I had the first two products. I had a talking keychain and a talking <laughs> mug. So when you drink it, you know, it's got a football player, a boxer, like, let's go, right? It's going out. If I say it, Will I get sued by no, you guys? No, well, especially if I'm in the room. And when I leave, I'll see you next week. So, <laughs> no, no, you're cool. You're cool. It's, I know the stories about me. I'm, a, I'm the sheriff. I'm the man behind the rumble. Man behind the man behind the rumble and the sheriff of the rumble. But come on, Logan, you know yourself. Impulsive. That's you. That's nobody else, right? Let's get ready, rumbles, Michael. When you trademark something, you got to protect it. Otherwise, the government can take it away from you. I even, uh, Don Imus one time uh, was constantly playing... Michael's voice from the jock jam, which really put Michael over the top because they were playing all the arenas. But what I, I, if I didn't do this, I don't know if those five words of air would have lasted. It could have been an Andy Warhol 15 minutes, like show me the money, show me the, where's the beef, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, yeah. 
Because um, when you think about it, Michael's career is still huge. And it's probably the most popular phrase in the world. And I'm happy to say it's time's getting up there too. Yeah. But um, why is that? It's because of careful marketing. So when Jock Jans put out their CD that all the arenas would play all the, the big songs from, dun, 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 you know, all this stuff. Everything was BMI and ASCAP registered. I didn't do that. I made it a copyright and a trademark. So that way, if somebody took it and played it in the arenas of the Raider games or the Ravens or the Cowboys or whatever, and I would hear about it, I would call them up and say, hey, you can't do that. Right. Right? You have to license it from us. I'm not looking to sue you. Here's the fee. You can use it for the season. And I started making deals before I ever even had Sick. an attorney. You know? That had to be one of the first of its kind. Like, Had you heard of a saying being trademarked only three people remember i mentioned three earlier people. yeah and you, i that, never that's heard of it. you to that's that well it fueled my fire further when i realized that hmm. um because my initial reaction was to trademark it but i'm proud to say that we're actually studied in uh, trademark law in colleges as, as, a, as a case, case law study, yeah. case yeah. study all the lawsuits and everything we've been involved in um, I, I'm not the kind of guy where you hit me in the rear of my car and I get like, oh, my neck and I want to get some money. That's not it. Yeah. It's business. For sure. Uh, one time there was a movie called Rumble in the Bronx with yeah, Jackie Chan. Classic, yeah. Before it came out, I'm, you know, eating my Cheerios or whatever, open up the LA Times and it's like four pages on for four pages, for five pages. Uh, get ready to rumble, you know, Ooh. Jackie Chan. And I'm like, whoa, where does that come from? So this was the first legal case we had. We went to court against New Line Cinema. And um, we were out of pocket over six figures within two months. You know how fast that can go. And it gets kind of scary, yeah. right? We, we won the case. We came out on top. And then I met a great attorney who handled that for us. And he became uh, my contingency attorney. Yeah. And we started dealing, protecting it. And the Don Imus story, if I may t tell you this real quick, um, he would play it all the time. And I went into the cleaner. And I sent him a letter explaining it was a trademark. I'm a fan of your show, trademark. Please do not say that, but if you want to, you know, call me for permission. I come back from doing a UFC. I go into my cleaners. I go, oh, you were on the Don Imus show today. I go, Don Imus show? I haven't been on Don Imus. Nobody's talking about you. And um, they told me, and basically what he said is, I got this, this stupid letter from this idiot, you know, <laughs> named Bruce Buffer. He says, I can't do this. He oh, goes, no. And he just goes like this and plays it. Okay. Now, this is called the, the big ball move. So I sent him through my attorney a copy of the lawsuit that I would file if he played it again, right? Michael calls me a few days later from New York. It's six in the morning, New York, nine o'clock my time. And the USA Today has a story how we're being sued by Infinity Broadcasting to free up the trademark, which, is, which owned the Don Imus show, right? Now, we've got pockets this deep. Oh, this, they've, they've got, got pockets yeah, this yeah, deep. For sure. You can be ruined in a lawsuit. Sure. And um, I'm thinking, what do I do? I mean, it's David and Goliath time. What do I do? I sent my attorney and our attorney in that afternoon to file a lawsuit against him. I threw the dice, you know? And we came out on top. Nice. Oh, shit. <laughs> you guys are bulletproof, it sounds like. You know what? I fight. Yeah. You point, I shoot. I fight. When you, when you originally went to trademark that uh, or copyright it, um, did... did how, how did that saying start? And, and is it, is it, let's get ready to rumble and only that, or is there iterations of it? I'm sure that, I know this is going to get very tactical. We don't have to get into all this, but my only curiosity was did HBO or did anyone else like that was a vehicle or propellant of that becoming such a mainstream slogan want a piece? Did they ever come after it? Um, 
in two answers to your question, first off, Michael, in his own words, would tell you that he created it. And the where it came from is, you know, Muhammad would come out, Muhammad Ali goes, ooh, I'm pretty, I'm ready to rumble, you know, blah, 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 blah. And then Michael put it together. He would say, like, man, your battle stations, do this. Because when you're out there introducing, it's like, well, the commission's this, and the referee is this, and this, and this, and this, and the crowd's just going, yeah. right? And you got to bring them, with all respect, you got to bring them back in. Sure. So he, he created Let's Get Ready to Rumble to bring them back in to create the crescendo. Definitely mm. worked. And it worked. Um, <laughs> so that was him. And then with the trademarking and all, yeah, people have tried that. But no, every deal I signed, every license deal, every TV show, every movie, it's all us. We, Michael, you know, Michael owns it in our partnership. We market it together, you know, and um, you just have to protect it. You know, it's like... Uh, there's let's get ready to crumble. We just did this whole thing for crumble cookies. I don't nice. you ever had those. Nice. They're unbelievable. <laughs> so that's let's get ready to crumble. Other time, Kraft Cheese did a cheese commercial. It was get ready to crumble. You know, he stood in front of the the old Hacienda Hotel on New Year's Eve when Sinbad announced it. And then he goes, let's get ready to rumble, right? And it imploded behind him. Sick. You know, so, or crumble. And then it imploded behind him. So. There's paraphrasers. Get ready to rumble. Ready to rumble. Yeah, I was gonna ask you. Have you? Would you ever consider bringing on like a an underling for you? Because I know a dating app that might be interested. in Let's get ready to bumble. I know a bunch of alcohol brands. Let's get ready to stumble. I do these deals all the time. Damn it! I was just okay. No, but understand. Since you're talking to me about making deals, okay? yes, yes. You know, you butter my bread, I butter okay, your palm. Okay, so okay, if I bring good. you the wow, deal. Wow, it's a business deal. It's a business deal. Not only does he like to make business deals, but he likes buttering his bread. I do. <laughs> that too. Like, I mean, even like like a gym, little gymnastic gym, let's get ready to tumble. I do like, it all the time. I do, I do. A, a football player that can't hold the ball, let's get ready to fumble. fumble. Like, we, I can do this. We've done, let's get ready to fumble. <laughs> he was on, Michael was on Saturday Night Live in, in a bit one time. He's at the table. It was called The Buffer Family. It's a really funny bit. And his son goes and says, Dad, Dad, I'm playing football. And he goes, let's get ready to fumble. <laughs> <laughs> okay, so then what happened that you met Michael and, and you were kind of doing his business workings that you saw what he was doing and decided you might be able to do the same thing? Well, I told Michael when we met that I would love to be an announcer. I love the lifestyle. I said I would love to. Uh, I saw your socks. It was funny. I, I um, would love to announce and Actually, one time we went to Kellogg, Michigan to do a kickboxing fight, and uh, we agreed I would not do boxing because, A, there was no money. And Michael, mm -hmm. in, at the time, was the only one making a full-time living. You know, Jimmy Lennon, who's a great announcer himself, you know, doing his job, making his money. That, that, you don't make a lot of money as an announcer. Right? You gotta, it's, it doesn't pay a lot back then. And, you know, we've, we've created that avenue for us, but just like in avenues you're in, not everybody makes a lot of money, right? So... I agreed it was a confliction of interest, fine, whatever. Then this event came along in 1993 called the Ultimate Fighting Championship. And um, I thought, okay, this is the fast growing pay-per-view. I, I read about it. I said, I, as Michael's manager, my job was to get him into every big event there was. Mm. So I called up and made a deal for him uh, to do UFC 5-6 uh, five, and Ultimate Ultimate, three-fight deal, three-event deal. So I got him a big paycheck. But he was getting a big, big paycheck from WCW wrestling at the time. He loved wrestling. Uh, the days of Hulk and Sting and all that stuff. Uh, and he would do the Monday Night Nitros and the pay-per-views and making just, you know, we made a very big deal with him. But he's allowed to do other stuff. So I got him in the UFC. Now we're in Casper, Wyoming for UFC uh, 5 and or 6, 6, 7, whatever. Just one of those UFCs right there. Sorry, I'm brain farting for a second. 
And this is when Tank Abbott came on the scene and all. So they, at dinner the night before, they told Michael, we want you to go in the octagon and say, if it's not in the octagon, it's not real, right? Back then, with all respect, wrestling is sports entertainment, right? And I have so much respect for you guys because I know from fighters that have done it, they get hurt more doing your sport mm. than it actually going out and fighting for real. But those guys, you know, they go at it. You can have, you can, you can have anything predetermined you want. Things happen, okay? Yeah. So I really highly respect wrestling. But um, they wanted you to, to think when Hulk Hogan blasted you, you know, 20 times in the face that that was it. Well, your face would be hamburger, you know, if he's yeah. really laying that down. So um, I thought, oh, my God, I'm going to get a call on Monday. I know I'm going to get a call. I know I'm going to get a call. I got a call. <laughs> WCW calls me up. What are you doing? I go, what do you mean? Why are you putting him in that? It's, it's in his contract. I mean, Michael is a fight announcer, okay? I have him doing it. Well, you got to make a decision. WCW, UFC, uh -huh. right? Okay. Um, I said, look, he's got three fights on his contract and uh, I got to have him finish all three events and then fine. No problem. This is after I talked to Michael and we agreed that would be the case. It would be very hard for Michael to have continued with the UFC the way it grew with everything else he had on his plate. Mm -hmm. So at that point, then I, I talked to the owner. I said, okay, I got to pull Michael. I want to be the announcer. Okay. I've got the media contacts you don't have because people were scared of the UFC back then. It was a spectacle. Now it's a mainstream sport. Weren't there like no weight classes at the time? There were no time limits, no weight classes. You had guys fighting 600 pounds. <laughs> in in like know, a gi sometimes. A gi, no gi. Whatever. I'm sorry, but that sounds more entertaining to me. I want to watch that again. <laughs> it was more entertaining to some people in their minds at the time. It was also frightening to a lot of others. It never would have grown to where it is today yeah. unless it got the rules and the refinements that it did. It wasn't even called mixed martial arts till like six seven years in well, what was it called it was blood sport i mean it was like <laughs> what, what back then they would fight three times in a night okay the tournaments that's that doesn't happen today you come out with no time limit. you're fighting two three times in a night and hoist gracie you know came out in the beginning and beat everybody being the skinny 180 pound you know guy that he was oh that's who it was yes yeah, that was hoist gracie i actually in 1991 um, there was a, a there is a famous director named John Milius who wrote Apocalypse Now, you know, did Red Dawn, all these films. He was a buddy of my family's and mine. So he called me up because I was kickboxing really heavily. And he's like, you know, Buff, come over to this gym. You got to train some jujitsu. And I said, I've trained jujitsu. He goes, you never trained Gracie jujitsu. Okay. So we go to Torrance, we go to the gym. Out comes this, you know, six foot one, six foot skinny kid, nice kid, 20 some years old. He goes, hi, my name is Hoist. Come with me. He pulls me in a room, we're alone, closes the door, the rooms are padded. He goes, I understand you're a kickboxer. Come at me, take my head off, right? <laughs> There's nobody there, but you know, the Gracie challenge, whatever. So I'm, you know, I'm game. So you want me to put on some gloves? He goes, no, let's just do this, right? Jeez. So I go at him, you know, pop, pop, pop. And I swear to God, guys, and I'm not ashamed of this, 45 seconds later, give or take five, right? I'm on my back. Obviously. He's got me in a side choke. He's choking me out <laughs> and he's going tap. Tap, tap. So, so I tap, and I'll never forget it. He straightens his, gets up in, in the guard, straightens out his gi and says, see, isn't it nice not to get hit in the face, right? Wow. I mean, every street fight I've been in has always gone to the ground, but I know how to bite. I know what it takes, okay? So <laughs> this is different. And then when I saw him come out at UFC 1 with his hands on the back of one of his family members, I looked at my family and friends watching. I go, see this little skinny kid? Yeah. He's going to beat everybody. And we all know he did. Right. And then it was like jujitsu was the art. That was the that was the sport that was winning. Yeah. The best base for mixed martial arts, I think most people, professional fighters, agree with me, is wrestling. Okay. Um, 
But sooner or later, you know, people come out, you got the Taekwondo expert, this expert, that expert. Um, but it became mixed martial arts and people began to learn jiu-jitsu, began to learn everything. And now these fighters, with all respect, men and women, they're super men and super women. They can have an answer for everything. Mm, they have to. The boxers that go in, a championship boxer going in the octagon, will lose 99.9% .9 of it's the time. It's a death wish. The UFC fighter going in the boxing ring is going to lose 99.9% .9 of the time. Yeah. Right? As we've found out. As we've found <laughs> out. Um, and of course, there's always, you know, there's I can name uh, UFC fighters that are really good boxers, but... As a rule, um, I come from the school of straight down the pipe, short punches, power, the whole bit, body, the whole bit, not the looping. You mm -hmm. know, it's hard when you're a ground fighter. I think it's easier to teach um, a striker how to ground fight than to teach a ground fighter how to strike. Think so? Really? It depends on the individual. Yeah. But I've noticed that because they, you know, they they loop. You got to really get the proper training. I read you got a concussion at 32 that kind of halted your yeah, hard sparring. Yeah. Oh, well, because I was, I wanted to have one professional fight just to say I had it. Yeah. You know, I was making plenty of money. It wasn't about that. And during the whole training process, I got concussed twice to the, to where um, the doctor said, and I was, I mean, I was slurring my words and suffer, I, you know, that immediate reaction. Oh, it's a serious concussion. It was a serious concussion. And I'll tell you another funny, they did give me another one. But um, uh, he looked at me and he said, listen, you can train. He goes, is this how you make your money? I go, no, I make my money doing this. Stop. <laughs> he goes, this is, you're going to be this way. You're going you're to be in your 40s. And you're going to have problems. Stop. Uh, right? So I stopped as much as I love to spar. I mean, I still spar today. You know, just whatever. But I got a family to take care of. Uh, Wait, so, okay. So I want to I wanna go back to this moment that you dis decide that you're going to just be an, an all of a sudden <laughs> replace your brother. Oh, oh, oh. I forgot this, about that. Because, <laughs> yeah. like, it, it, to me, it's just so funny because... You know, I go back to the moment where your dad taught you, like, announce your presence. Say it with your <laughs> chest, son. And I wonder if, like, that was the last thing you said to your brother when he was, like, leaving him in or after. Like, no, that no, no. That's no. a little dark, bro. You know, it, it's hey, a little. Don't forget, no matter what happens. It's, it's a little deeper than that. But you know, it really came down to this um, in a short version of the story. I saw this as an opportunity. Right. This is my world. Martial arts is my world, okay? Boxing is my world. Together, it's my world personified. So I would say you need a buffer in the octagon. I need to grow with you as the announcer to perfect my art. And as well, I will do everything I can outside of being an announcer to help you build this brand and grow this brand. Because I obviously knew how to build a brand. Yep. I just got done building one before that in the process thereof. So I didn't want a dime, I didn't want anything. You know, I helped him get on Jimmy Kimmel and you know uh, National Enquirer TV show and Jay Leno and all this kind of stuff and I would, even call up ESPN saying, you guys should carry this. You know what they told me back then? They didn't like the name. They were scared of the name. Now they just paid, what, $1.52 billion or whatever they yeah. paid, and uh, the USC is with them. But um, it fell on deaf ears. So I got a videotape sent to me by a guy named Scott the Pitbull Ferrazzo. 6'1", hands down to his ankles, 340 pounds, the perfect guy for the USC back then. I sent it off to Robert. He, uh, hi he hired him for a fight in Bayamon, Puerto Rico, February 16, 1996. As his manager for getting the job, I got to fly down with him. So I put my tuxedo in the, in the suitcase. And when I got there, I said, Robert, at the night before, he always had these dinner parties the night before. I said, Robert, I got my, I'm coming down. I've got my tuxedo. Let me announce the prelims. Let me show you what I got. Give me a shot, right? Gave me a shot. And I announced three fights. Go home. I watch it now. I go, no, 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 no. You know, it's just not me. But it was, you know, where I cut my teeth. So then uh, it fell on deaf ears. 
I keep flying into New York. I'm taking them out for drinks. I'm doing this. I want the job. I come from the school. If you want something, you ask for it, uh. right? So then um, they call me. They said, listen, six months later, I said, the announcer's uncle passed away. Uh, we need you in Dalton, Alabama in two days uh, to announce UFC 10. I was in the hospital with my mom. We just had a serious operation. She's in bed, lying back. It's the day after she's been cut open. And it was like Rocky with Talia Shire, you know, where she's in a coma and not my mom, but, you know, Talia Shire, Rocky won't train, he won't do anything, yeah. and her hand moves, right? And then all of a sudden she looks at him and goes, win, right? <laughs> so I get off the phone, I go, guys, I'll call you back. I'm, I'm really in dealing with something right now with my mom, I'll call you back. I hang up and my mom looks at me and she goes, that's the call you've been waiting for, isn't it? I said, yes, it is, mom, but I'm not leaving you. She goes like this, I swear to God, go, you gotta go, Oh my right? God. All of a sudden all I'm hearing is, <laughs> I'm going into a montage of shots. I get down there. I do the job. I announce the whole show. I think I do a good job. I get back. It's like, hey, I'm ready. Come on, let's do this. They hire somebody else. Oh, oh man. Did you tell <laughs> you them about your mom? And the, <laughs> and the fucking this? I know. You know what? They looked at you and they will go, fuck you. <laughs> they, may not, they may not be family oriented, you know? So... So then about another six months goes by and then they call me up and they go, hey, listen, um, we're doing a TV show called Friends. It's called The Ultimate Fighting Champion, right? And um, the voiceover of the announcer, but Warner Brothers wants the real person. They're sending somebody down. We're going to have them send down to your house. Would you like to be on Friends? I go, yeah, okay. So they came down, they picked up tape and audio. Uh, Warner Brothers called me like five o'clock that afternoon. Okay, you're hired. You're going to co-star as yourself, right? And John McCarthy and Tank Abbott were on the show. John Favreau, John Favreau. Of course. Um, he was in the ring fighting. Yeah, he was in the ring he was fighting. Monica. Monica's the boyfriend, the eccentric boyfriend. <laughs> and so when I went down and rehearsed, but I told the owner, Robert, I said, listen, at lunch, I need to talk to you. And I went up and I met with him and I said, look, I've been after this job for a year and a half. I'm co-starring as myself on the biggest comedy and TV today. Biggest publicity you've ever had, right? I feel like a girl waiting to be asked to the prom and nobody's asking me. So I'm going <laughs> to ask you one more time. And I'll never ask you again. Let me become the Octagon announcer, and I will help you build this brand every way possible. Not ask for a dime. Just let me be the announcer and grow with you and grow with the sport. Best poker hand I ever played in my life. One of the best poker hands. And that's what I started. You got it. I got it. So good. Big moment in history. Right? Big so moment. Good. Big moment for me, that's Damn. for sure. So you, like, I can't believe yeah, the, 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 you worked with John Favreau <laughs> on Friends. Yeah. Dude, that's insane how you went from, dude, I mean, do you, did, did the fact that you saw your brother, you're like, I could do this. I could do this better than you. <laughs> well, I, I was, it's never a competition because, you know, everybody wanted to be my brother. I did not want to be Frank Sinatra Jr. That's the last thing I wanted, with mm -hmm. all respect to Frank Sinatra Jr. I told myself I would spend two years or so, and if I can't build my own identity, be recognized as Bruce Buffer for the way I do it, I would quit. And I would. I'm telling you guys, that's how I am things started to grow. I never even said it's time till about seven years in. I was going to say, uh, A, it's impressive that you were able to make a brand of your own. Thank you. Under, at the time, I'm sure what felt like the giant shadow of one of the greatest announcers ever. Um, so coming up with your own unique voice and uh, pun intended, finding your voice is was funny, impressive. Funny, yeah. uh, uh, how did you come up with it's time? Because you again, your brother had this incredible saying, you're doing the same thing, right. you want to make a name for yourself. And then, now the pressure's on you. And I know how hard it is to uh, reverse engineer something spectacular. Yep. You know? It, mm -hmm. it, it, a lot of the times, um, things kind of fall into 
in, into place and like the miracle happens of, of the brand and yeah. let's get ready to rumble happened to be this thing that everyone resonated with. But now you have the pressure of coming up with your own saying you created its time. How? Well, I took pride in the fact that I wasn't phrase driven. I didn't want to come out and think, oh, you know, Michael Buffer, let's get ready to rumble. The greatest phrase spoken at the time by anybody. Um, and I, I wanted to put it on the tip of everybody's tongue in American culture as his manager and partner, which was my job. But I didn't want to be like Michael, like every other announcer. Yeah. So it wasn't what it's again, I'll repeat this. It's not what I say, it's how I say it. Right. So I went from that school entering in and I would open the show and go, it's time to begin the ultimate fighting championship. That's how I started the show. Right. So when Dana bought it, I had the Godfather meeting. They flew me into Vegas to meet the Godfather. Right. Sat down. He said, uh, I want you to stop saying that at the beginning and try to grab the energy you had when you announced Tito Ortiz and Evan Tanner in Atlantic City, because that, along with your brother announcing Riddick, Bowen, Holyfield, strangely enough, the fight that gave me the epiphany, are the two greatest announcements I've ever heard from an announcer. So I would like you to, to, to maintain that energy and as best you can. And I stopped saying it's time, but then I noticed in the main event, the, the audience and fans have been here for five hours or so waiting for the main event. The fighters have trained for eight to 10 weeks to be in the main event. This is truly the moment we've all been waiting for. It's time, yeah. right? So that's why I started doing that. And I wanted to bring people back into the fight, like the scenario I told you earlier, when you're announcing uh, the commission is this, and this is this, and you, the audience goes down, you gotta bring them back, right? And I saw this as my hook. I finally realized this is the mark I wanted to do. So I did it, and it's different when I started versus how I do it today. I mean, I used to get three, four feet of air. I mean, I would jump. You know, like crazy. <laughs> and I go, I go cry. I have no ACL on my left knee because I blew it. Is that I, how you blew it out? I was going to ask. No, I, I, um, the first, the first ACL was at the Toronto 55,000 people. I was in a poker tournament the week before. And when I got up during the break, I hit a dip in the carpet at the Hustler Casino and I rolled my ankle. Right. Ugh. So I, I, I made to day two. But when I got home that night, I, my ankle, when I woke up was filled with blood. Mm. So I had to run to the hospital, get my ankle drained. I couldn't walk. They gave me some crutches. I went back to the poker tournament. I got third place, won like 30 grand, but I couldn't walk, right? Now I got to leave for the biggest show historically ever in the UFC. Sold out in 20 minutes, 55,000 people. And it's Thursday, and I'm just now starting to be able to walk on my foot. So I get to Toronto. I get in the octagon. Uh, that's Saturday night. I'm jumping. I'm turning. The adrenaline's taking over. You know how that goes, I'm yeah. sure, Logan. And uh, I'm announcing George St. Pierre right? <laughs> and so I go, George, rush. And then he lunges out like always. And I instinctively bunny hop back the way I always do when he does. And my bad ankle wobbled. And when it wobbled, my knee exploded and oh. severed my ACL. Oh. And I still remember the click, you know, the snap. Uh, GSP tore your ACL. I just, no, I severed casino. it. I didn't tear it. I severed oh, it. No. So then, so I, I go back and I'm walking over to the referee and my knee's going like this. And I've got my game face on. But inside, I'm going, holy shit, I just blew my knee, yeah. right? And I walk out, and John McCarthy goes, I think you just blew your ACL. <laughs> Stitched around, the cut man puts an ice bag on my knee. No, that'll do it. I'm looking up at Warriors <laughs> fighting, and the announcer's got an ice bag on his knee. What's, yeah. what's wrong with that picture? So then I go, and I get, um, they say, okay, you need to get a, you know, a new ACL, blah, blah, blah. <laughs> I'm filming a movie in two weeks called Here Comes the Boom. I've got UFCs every week, and I'm no, I never want to miss a show. I wanted to be the, the, Calvin, the Cal Ripken of, of the UFC. Yeah. I said, guys, our Dr. Elitrosh, who did Tom Brady's knee, we had a meeting. I said, Doc, let me brace it up. Give me the bracelet. It'll make me work. I have a four-week window in two and a half months. 
Can we do it then? Can you get me back in the octagon in four weeks? Because normally it takes about eight weeks, but if you listen to what I do, I'll have you back in the octagon in four weeks. So I went in, I got my, my uh, ACL replaced and um, went back in. I was a little buffer light, but I, I didn't, you know, I didn't miss a beat. So I did wow. it. Impressive. That was the first one. Then. Oh, this happened more than once. Yeah. Same, same, same ACL. No, no, no. Then. Uh, got them both. About, yeah, seven years <laughs> later. Yeah. <laughs> they called me, call me up in Vegas. It's the first time and the only time they had three UFCs in a row. Three days in a row. Eight hour, 10 hour days as an announcer. Boom. That night before the first show, they go, listen, we're doing a lip sync contest. We'd like you to appear. And I thought they wanted me to announce. They so, you know, we'd like you to lip sync. So I picked Billy Idol's Rebel Yell, right? Okay. And he always, he always jumps at the beginning of it, right? He did this while singing. <laughs> so I go up there and um, the, the stage was like put together in sections, a little wobbly. And I come out and I, you, you can go Google a Bruce Buffer Blows Knee at Lip Sync Contest. And you'll see it. So I jump and when I come down, I hear the same thwack, right? My knee goes. And then it went twice in 45 seconds. So you see me fall on the ground. <laughs> right still lip syncing and doing my stuff <laughs> and then i get up and i do i do the air guitar bit i mean three minutes long this song yeah. is right and i'm like and this song friggin' end you know this is yeah. crazy and i go sit down afterwards and i go oh my god i can't believe i did this so i go to the uh, i get an mri the next morning they go oh, you have no acl you severed it it's gone you need to go rice you know rest ice all compress that. elevate yeah. i go no i gotta be at the octagon in four hours i gotta go to work so uh, you'll see me if i forget exactly which show it was but you'll see me go in I'm buffer light. I'm doing it on one leg, right? I would like, you know, when you, instead of doing this, when I turned, I would turn my feet like this and I would just turn my hips into my body, uh, right? Uh. So um, you'll see at a point about halfway through the night, I get the knee brace on the outside of my leg and I did all three shows, you know? Anyone in Again, I'm not fighting, okay? You, can, you can I, yeah, go. I, I would, have you fucking quit anything <laughs> in your life? Like anything? Because you said if that didn't work out for you trying to uh, find your own uh, image, that you would quit. But I find that hard to fucking believe, bro. I don't think you quit anything. <laughs> well, you know, there, you got to know when to get the Velcro off your ass and get up and find another table, okay? You got to know when it's time. Has that A man has to know his limit. Of course. Could of you course. name one? Huh? Just so I could feel better. Well, he's technically, <laughs> no, he's named a lot. He's named a lot. Any Anytime he's transitioned from, from one, you know, job or, or industry to the other, yeah. it was one of those moments. Not everything know? is a success. You got to learn what it's like to fail before you can learn what it's like to succeed. You got to have the taste for both. I think the ability for a person to look themselves in the mirror and understand when they've reached their capacity or maybe have not reached their capacity at a thing is a really, really important skill to have. It's an important skill, but it goes into your personal life too. It's almost like when you're involved, you know, uh, with a woman and you realize at one point, is this really going to be the future for me? Mm. You know, and she has to realize it too. It's like, you got to realize when. What's your worth? What's your worth? Yeah. It, it, whether it's in a relationship or just in what you're doing. You Business, know? relationship. Everything. Poker, blackjack, it's, fighting. It's, it's a hard conversation to have with yourself. It's so hard. Oh, especially, especially if you love what you're doing. That's the worst. I, Bruce, I see people, they'll be, they'll be doing something they love and they just suck at it. But they stay at the game too long sometimes. I know, but then they end up only shooting themselves in the foot because you're, you're way too deep down a path of something that maybe just you weren't meant to be doing. You've got to be honest with yourself. Have to. Well, you if they love it, I think they're still like winning. I mean, I had this conversation with you. It was one of the first conversations we had when we met. Yeah, he told me to stop being a model. I wasn't tall enough. <laughs> <laughs> I don't like the way you laughed at that. No, I know. And you also had the same conversation with yourself. <laughs> <laughs> I suck at it. <laughs> I have to I have to ask you this, and I hope it doesn't derail the conversation, but have you ever seen felony fights on YouTube? <laughs> <laughs> 
<laughs> yeah. I can just imagine what those are. You mean like uh, like bum fights and that kind I'm of stuff? I'm talking straight know, out the fights. pin. And you got no job because no pain. one's going to hire you. And now you have to go to felony fights. Dude, I've watched one that was by the creek. And the dude literally started drowning his opponent. Oh my and, God. And, and the announcer was hilarious. So in my mind, I want to see you announce well, felony fights one First day. off, I would never do that. That's no. a little below my my pay scale or whatever the term is. Oh, you don't know the budget I, of felony <laughs> fights. Have <laughs> you seen a camcorder before? Show. Let me tell you something, guys. Coming up when I was doing every, every mixed martial arts event pretty much asked me to announce. But before like the Fertitas took over and I became exclusive to the UFC with Dana, I had cowboy bars where the fights in the audience were better than the fights going on in the ring yeah. to, to underground fights downtown with Tito Ortiz and others. You know, I mean, there, there was so much underground activity. Um, so I've seen some pretty heavy things. <laughs> That's awesome. That's awesome. You have yet to announce me. I, well, sorry, I think I'll, Vince I'll McMahon this. said recently when he was talking to his announcer, because he, he was at the show, mm. That he wasn't crazy about my over-the-top style or something like that. What for for wrestling? For wrestling. But, I mean, we can get you. To I do would boxing. A, I would do a one-off with or, you in a or if, or if and the, I want to do a UFC fight. Well, what, you, know how if, I, you know how I feel about that. What if I just come to you? You got to go to the, the powers that be. You know what? I thought Dana. I thought Dana entertained the fact. He, yeah, he did. He did. Whatever his relationship with your brother is, but I think when it comes to you, he's entertained the fact. Yeah. Well, I mean, I mean, I don't. I don't know if you know this, Bruce, and perhaps this is breaking information, but you know, I hear it. It's coming. Do you know Prime is now the official sports drink of the UFC? <laughs> yes, I know. I'm so proud of you. That's you, so awesome. You knew that? Yeah, I knew it was coming in. Thanks, man. Well, I, I happen to know somebody in your organization that kind of spilled the beans. So, yeah. <laughs> I'm not sure how it how it how it spreads in there, but like personally, I'll tell you, uh, this is one of the coolest things. I've ever achieved in my life. It's awesome. I understand you've already captured like a, a one point of the market. What you've done in like eight or 10 months or 12 months with this, I hope to do with my time energy drink. You know, I've got it coming out in 40 countries myself, but getting back to this, it's a quality product. God knows you have the following to make mm -hmm. it happen. And when, when I've been explained to me, like the amount of success you've had with this, look, sponsoring the USC is not cheap. Oh, we know. It is not cheap. Oh, trust. I know. Yeah. <laughs> do you know how it happened? Tell me. I was, uh, I was, we were looking to sponsor one event in February, which is going to happen right after the show, actually, um, uh, with Volkanovsky. Oh, that's the... Uh, in Perth. In Perth, yeah. yeah Are you yeah. going? Yeah, I'll be there. Oh, great. Well, let's do dinner. I'm down there. Oh, no way. Cool, yeah. cool, cool, cool. Yeah, we're going to announce um, the launch of Prime in Australia. And awesome. We're going to be doing a meetup and everything, and, and that'll be the first major event that we are on the logo and have the commercial and... and People know that we're now the official sports partner of the UFC. But I texted Dana and I was like, hey, is this is this spot open? Like just out of curiosity. I know, I know at the time it, they had another um, um sponsor. It, is there a chance that we could make our way in just for this one event? And um it turns out that the contract they had with their current isotonic partner at the time was expiring, expiring at the end of 2022. Timing's everything. Everything. I can't everything. believe it. Everything. My 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 partner called me. He's like, hey. This contract is open. Is this something that like interests you? And I'm like, dude, I have been watching the UFC my whole fucking life. I mean, you know this. Bro. <laughs> yeah. I'm, I'm obsessed with everything yeah. uh, uh, UFC. If if a product that I created that I, I drew the logo on paper, it was just an idea at one point, becomes the official sports drink, the fuel 
of my favorite sports organization, like that is a dream come true. I cannot fathom how cool that is. And, and, and we won the bid. We won the bid. And, we'll, and for the next three years, we'll be the three years. One, three years, dude. You're how crazy so, is that? You're so lucky, but you work for it. You asked for it. You got it. And uh, congr congratulations. Thank you, bro. Thank awesome. you. Awesome. I, I don't know. I don't know if you know this either, but <laughs> we want you to do It's Prime. <laughs> one, one time. Oh, just amazing. one time, Bruce. <laughs> not, not here. Not here. Not now. No, no, no. no. We, I've been talking to your, your guy, Matt. Okay, okay, okay. Because so you I, know. And you know, you know what I'm coming out with with my products and stuff. Yeah, yeah, I've already yeah, got yeah. the clear from my company, everything. Let's work together. Oh, my god. Let's work together. So it's cool. It's. <laughs> <clears throat> Prime! <laughs> Let's go. We'll invoice you for that. Yeah, thanks. Uh, send me an invoice. I got you. Um, Where do you get mine? Okay. <laughs> I've actually, I've actually hired you before to do a a promo for my uh, my my subscription club, the Maverick Club. I don't know if you remember this, but you didn't come at me for that. I think I did on cameo. I think I went the official route. Cause, cause oh you, my gosh, I remember doing that with. I should have put screen. two and two together. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Because, yeah. because. You have you have a cameo that I'm sure is popping, right? People can I'm, order like custom. They told me I'm one of the top. I'm uh, sure. 10%. You, you, you've got to yeah. be because you also put a lot of effort into it. You get in front of the green screen, like people really get well, the green screens. I do that out of my office. People write me at brucebuffer.com, and and we do the green screen for businesses. And I have special things there for championship intro introductions, yeah. audio and video. So we'll do the green screen, put images behind. Yep. And yep. That during COVID grew to be a huge oh, business. So you're, so you're just huge. A, he's just a hustler. hustler. Dude, hustler. how? Like he knows how to yeah. he knows how to even transform the business when it's when it's a downtime in the rest of the industry. Yeah. When yeah. COVID hit, I told myself, you know, because I've always been in shape, but I, I dropped 20 pounds. I go, I'm going to be, not that I had to, I just wanted to get in a different thing. I wanted to be in the best mental and physical condition. So where people are sitting back in the couch getting fat and lazy, no. This is the opportunity to step ahead and get ahead of the pack. Oh, so man. I wanted to be ready for it. So I started the the video business. The, you know, all, my business increased, you know, four, three four hundred percent during COVID Crazy. because people wanted video. We're not just like they're doing Zoom meetings. You know, they, it just it opened up a whole new realm, and I saw it. We, so I attacked it. We leaned into it too. We we I start, bet we started vlogging because we knew everyone's just going to be lazy. I, I I also started smoking weed. It's been downhill ever since. But um, wait, wait, you say you start smoking weed during COVID? That's when I started. Yeah, but like, not like really right in the beginning. Like in the beginning, we were fucking bumping content. I mean, yeah, that's yeah, when yeah. I started too, and yeah. that was what created I, everything. Yeah, but I can't be the only one that picked up. No, the, no, the no, 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 no. Drugs and alcohol and substance abuse has skyrocketed. Well, look at the suicide levels. I mean, if you only get down to a negative subject, it's crazy what's happening. Massive. The, the effect on, on children, teenagers, and adults is well, crazy. Well, just because of, of the isolation. I mean, people weren't able to leave their house. They weren't able to go talk to their therapists, their counselors. They weren't able to go to school. I mean, there's been so many like experiments in the past on even uh, on rats about what happens if you remove people from society if you remove people from their ability to coexist and connect yeah. with each other it's extremely dangerous and i think we're starting to see those those effects one of the benefits i have because i used to like i explained earlier i've, I've had the forty thousand square foot offices and the 150 employees and all that type stuff and you know um i switched to a home office when i started managing michael and you know you've got to be self-motivating and to do that waking up every day mm -hmm. and there's nobody mm -hmm. around you pushing you so my partner uh kristen and i who's been my um, working side by side is first on my assistant, then vice president. Now she's partner in my company and Michael's company. We've been working side by side for 25 years at my home. I started at my home on the beach, you know, by myself and then the place we're at now. And I, I knew a long time ago running companies that you could start any business you want 
and you can hire and have everything done outside. Yeah, I call remote. them satellites. Yep. I call them satellites. I knew how to build that kind of business. So I had an easy transition into the COVID world, except for the fact I couldn't go out to dinner and you know, yeah. live the life that I wanted to yeah, live. Yeah, you like time. dinners. You're a dinners guy for sure. I'm a social guy, you yeah, know, I'm yeah. a dinner guy, you know, I'm, I'm a foodie, but you know, I like, I like laughing. I like being with my bros and having a good time. <laughs> do you ever want to do a seminar to like teach people how to be proactive with their business? I do it. I teach, oh, I teach branding and marketing. I, before COVID, I was doing <laughs> it. Does it does everything. Yeah. yeah, it does it. He's a hustler, <laughs> bro. Surprise. Like, <laughs> well, I love, I love helping, I love helping people make money and better themselves. You know, I, to me, Competition breeds success and success breeds competition. You know, I have no problem. Somebody wants to open up, uh, I just came out with one of the best bourbons in, in the States, you know, winning awards left and right. There's many other bourbons. Fine, go sell, go be successful. I know mm. what I'm doing. Yeah, yeah. You know? I wanted to ask just a couple tactical questions sure. about your voice. Because I'm always so curious, man. Like I, like, I start sweating when I see you just screaming at the top of your lungs during these fights. How do you not lose your voice and how have you not had to have some sort of vocal cord surgery? Well, ask yourself, what does a singer do that's doing two shows a night for an hour and a half, five, six days a week? How do they do it, right? Warm up? So in the early, well, I don't rehearse. I, I don't like to rehearse. There's an organic voice and there's a rehearsal voice. So I, what I do is make sure I have the names down. When I'm writing my fight cards, I'm memorizing a lot. That's why you look at me and I rarely look at my fight cards. Yeah. But I can also read them no matter where they're at. I could read them up there, over that there. That was another question down. I had. Oh, I can read them. It's an art. You learn after a while. Okay. Because when I'm moving, I even cut a hole in the card to put my pinky through because when I move so much, I don't want to drop the card, yeah. right? And if you notice in the main event, when I do the announcing, before I say, when I'm about to say it's time, I don't go like this like other announcers do. I just throw that card behind my back, yeah. right? Yeah. Let it go. I mean, this is the my style. But um, singers bring it all up from the diaphragm. I used to bring it from here. So in the early days after a show, I'd be, probably be a little like this, you know? And it started to bug me. And then I just started reading and I talked to a voice coach and I went for one voice coach lesson because I wanted to know what singers do. And then I learned how they bring it up from uh -huh. here. So it's, it's and how you open up your throat. I mean, I can, when I go into long, it's time or whatever, I'm literally just, I just feel it. I feel like I'm a <laughs> trombone just roaring this thing, you know? And I used to scream, now I call it roar, uh -huh. right? So it's, it's, it's perfecting your tool. It's perfecting your, your muscle. I've never been able to do it. I've taken the vocal lessons and everything, but I, I've just, I'm all screamed out, man. I can't. Don't I can't. scream. Well, I don't know how to do the diaphragm thing. Yeah. That helps. Use it. Tapping the microphone? No, just <laughs> using the microphone. <laughs> okay, okay. <Yeah>. Just <laughs> I don't know. Well, because with WWE now, you know, I'm cutting promos and I'm watching it. And every time I scream, it's just so corny me, as fuck. They got to be somebody to work with you. I'll come over for an hour and we'll work together. I'll help you work. Dude, I work took all the. I don't know if I'm a screamer, man. I, you know, I, I don't even know if I'm a roarer. I don't have a roar. You've got a voice. You just got I a got a voice. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. You I'm know what, Logan? People love you for who you are, so just be yourself. So that's what I learned. I think that's going to be my shtick. I just yeah. got to find my, myself in there. But yeah. I've, I've always just been so curious. Like, it's it's never happened. Huh? You've never had, like, a, a, what's it, a node pop up on? No, a, no, thank No, no. That's insane. My brother in 2008 got throat cancer oh fuck you imagine that it's like it's like a marathon runner getting a you know busting his leg yeah, or a, leg amputation he got paper headshot he was a stage stage two or three throat cancer oh my god and they said you know we're gonna have to do this you're gonna need chemo you're gonna do this he saw a third doctor said listen i can take care of you i'm gonna remove this this and this he woke up the next morning and the first thing he said to himself as he told me was ladies and gentlemen 
You know, he just wanted to hear it come out. No that was the way. very first thing. And when he heard that, he knew he was okay because it's going to change his whole career. So he was out for five weeks and he was back to work in HBO from throat cancer. I filled in for him on uh, Casamayor HBO fight one time. Um, but that's an amazing story. You know, it was a very rough year. Is, any way, I mean, maybe this is a dumbass question, but is that in any way caused by the years of vocal strain that he was doing? There's so many stories out there. You know, I mean, you hear throat cancer and men could be from getting the, like Michael Douglas, I think, blamed it when he had it on because he, you know, he's pretty active in the single world that, you know, blamed it on like potentially, if I heard this correctly, the HPV virus. Or oh, whatever. really? Okay. There's so, I mean, it, look, it, cancer's the luck of the draw. It's just a crazy animal. Isn't it fucked up? And and it's still not handled. I I was going to ask you about the him going back after five weeks and your ability to go back after four weeks on the ACL and you guys having a DNA code that is tied to one another. <laughs> because I want to ask you this question about entrepreneurial nature and about the ability to hustle nature versus nurture. Like clearly it seems like nature is the answer for you and your brother because you both have an entrepreneurial and a warrior ability to return to something after fucking getting your throat cut out. I call it, I call it, I live by a, by a code of honor and warrior spirit. And I put that in everything I do, you know, don't put your hands on me, be respectful. I'll be respectful. You know, just, I treat everybody with respect. Have you seen three identical strangers? Oh, that's a What's crazy that? dog, I dude. suggest you watch this that's documentary. Amazing. Yeah, what is it? it? What is it? Three identical strangers. So there were a <laughs> set of triplets that were separated at birth and raised by three different families in, in three d different um, financial places in their right. life. Uh, one not so, not so well off, one middle class and one well off. Right. And uh, they found and discovered each other when they were in college. And it was the nature versus nurture um subject that apparently a a a like scientist was was actually doing in real life with these kids who would be intentionally separated at birth from from this adoption agency wow. which is has its own slew of moral complications but yeah. it, it was a really really interesting documentary and um kind of kind of had a tragic ending, ending. Yeah, yeah yeah one of them ended up um well dying. well hold on well hold on what yeah, the no, fuck? I was, I'm like, all right. No, you're, that no, you're that guy? You're that guy? Hold on. You're, you're going to give away the this. ending. You're yeah, not well, only spoiling it for the room, but second. also all of our wonderful okay. viewers. All right. <laughs> Go watch it. It's Thank great. You. I, Thank yeah. you. <laughs> <laughs> He's like, what happened was. <laughs> no, but no, but nature versus nurture. It was, um, <coughs> I've always, I've always learned it to be 50 50 nature mm -hmm. nurture mm -hmm. and that's kind of i think where this netted out as well maybe actually 60 40 in the in the favor of nature mm -hmm. like your genetic code is going to program you to be a certain type of person agreed and your circumstance is either you know maybe going to amplify it maybe affect it or push it a certain way but who you are and who you were meant to be, even I'm sure you've experienced this with Michael a little bit, is 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 a little bit ingrained in you. No, absolutely, no question. I mean, again, I'm the I'm the as he says, the businessman in the family. But you know, in life, the top one two percent make all you know make all the money, whether it's the boxers or whether it's whatever. But life is like a pyramid is like a pyramid, right? I mean, you have a family, you've got the grandfather, the hierarchy leading down to the, the kids, the aunts and uncles, all the way to the bottom. In business, you've got the CEO, the vice presidents leading down to the secretaries to the to the people that answer the phones, pack the boxes, do everything. It's very important, not just the people at the top. The base is, is ultimately important because without that base, it all falls down. Mm. 
So not everybody is born to be a leader. Not everybody is born to be a CEO. Not everybody's born to be Logan Paul, right? It, you either have the it factor and you go for it and you realize it, you, or you honorably and pleasurably and respectfully work for the paycheck or you work for the commission. You know, where's your head at? And there's nothing wrong with that. There's you know, nothing wrong with like anything. Back in the day, like yeah. you're like uh, you would you would threaten like quitting like a, a a good job, and they would say, "Well, the world needs ditch diggers too." And it was like the biggest like insult that anybody could ever. Say. But in reality, it's just a fact of the matter. Like people, like your role, whatever it is, what however lowly you think it is or high you think it is, is all just part of a of as you just described it, a and, a, a program and the matrix. And some call it. To a degree, and everybody is expendable. The moment you think that you're not expendable, like you've heard the story numerous times where there's a hit TV show, and or or like the guy in Iron Man in the first Iron Man, I forget his Terrence, uh, whatever was, yeah, Terrence Howard, yeah. So you know he wanted more money, right? And he was already being paid a boatload of money. And this happens in TV shows, and they argue and they argue, and then they're off the TV show and they don't work again. Mm. They never have that that chance, right? Don't. Realize your worth. Realize where it's at, and realize what you can go for and what you can't go for. Is anyone, but always go for it. Is anyone oh. irreplaceable? My mom and my dad, to me. Yeah. Outside of that, I mean, in business, there's always somebody that can fill and do the job. Like, okay, people say in my case, you know, like, oh, you know, I read this and I and I love hearing it and, and I appreciate it so much. You know, the love and everything. It'll never be the same. It'll never be this. No, there, there might not be another guy like me announcing but there's going to be another announcer right it might not bring what i bring and maybe it'll bring more in other ways who knows so everybody's expendable everybody's got the run everybody's got everything comes to an end i like how being an announcer is now such a cool thing i feel like you and your brother definitely have Thank made you. it that and uh I think a lot of kids are striving now, or not a lot, but there's a handful out there who, who yeah. look at what you guys do and go, I want to do that when I'm older. Even, what fight was it at? That there was like a 17-year-old announcing, and he looked like kind of like a- The Challenger a, Games. No. <laughs> <laughs> nah, I feel like, just, do you think it is, do you think it's as big now? Because when you look back to, I mean, call it like the 50s, 60s, 70s when radio and- yeah. And like you said, Don Imus and all these, you know, massive icons and titans of, yeah. of sport and Stern, comedy. You know. Yeah. Like I can imagine in the earlier late 70s or early 80s, even like a kid in their bedroom with a fake, you know, towel towel paper roll, <laughs> like uh, pretending to be Imus or pretending to be, you know, one of these guys. No do you question. think it's is do you think that's is still like that nowadays? I do because I see it. Yeah. You know, I get tweets and I get emails and I get I, I even I have I've seen little kids. It's it's such an honor. Like the, the dad will put out on Twitter, and he's got a, he's filming his kid who's like six years old, who's spinning around and doing my whole main event. It's yeah. time. And <laughs> there's even one guy, and it happens every big show now. It's Maverick the dog. It's this white dog, right? Yeah. And and a beautiful like uh, mixed breed. And every time I'm announcing, it's like listening to it's time. And then it'll look at me away from me, and it goes. <laughs> and they always put it on. It's like, if I'm having that effect on dogs and kids, you know, but it's an honor. It's, it's just, it's just really cool. So answer your question. Yeah. I mean, cool. We know, we know you're also good at poker and we made a joke. You got some cash? You got some chips? No, no chips. <laughs> just shitty jokes. Do you want to hear it? Go for it. Oh, fuck. 
fuck. I think I forgot it. It was I, no. so bad. I may have forgot. What, oh, what do you call? Uh, what do you call? Oh, oh, oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So, so I was trying to think of, uh, I do this thing where I just do like a plan words. And I was like, <laughs> can, can we do all of them? Oh yeah. Well, okay. What would you call Michael if he was uh, trying to deceive players in a poker game? My brother? No, uh, sorry, sorry, Bruce. What would you call Bruce? A bluffer. Bruce, nice, Bruce, Bruce Bluffer. Bluffer. Yeah, Bruce Bluffer. Okay, yeah. okay. What would you call Bruce <laughs> if he was uh, the man responsible for getting uh, the male adult film stars ready for a scene? Bruce Bluffer. Nice, nice, <laughs> nice. Okay, okay, okay. What would you call Bruce? Not, if- not an aspiration I have, okay? <laughs> right, let's, just, right. let's just clear that up, okay? <laughs> okay, uh, this one doesn't work as well, but like, what, what would you call Bruce if uh, he was like, the part of the uh, exhaust of a car that the smoke comes out of. Bruce Muffler. <laughs> this dude's perfect. That's awesome. Sorry, George. I'm sorry. Bro, sorry. It's not my brain works, dude. Nature versus nurture. What do you want to say? Hey, do I, I, get I a hate prize? you guys I mean, so much. I got to get a bottle. You were perfect. You were perfect, bro. You got those easy, man. Oh, Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> when we're, when we're uh, driving for a long amount of time, we play these rhyme games. Uh, keeps you sharp. Keeps you sharp. <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, with you, it, you go to poker. You love it. Yeah. Were you in any way involved in Molly's game? <laughs> yeah, and I'll tell you why. Oh, really? um, <laughs> he took a shot in the dark there. <laughs> like, I can't. I, I <laughs> that worked. <laughs> I played in. I played in um, the Molly type games back before Molly had her game, when they weren't quite as big. And I played with. Um, you know, the main character in that movie is Tobey Maguire. Yeah. You know? Yeah. Yeah. So I remember one time I was at a game without mentioning names, except for Toby's. Uh, <laughs> I was like, hey, wait a second. Wait a second. So we're at, this, we're at this famous director's house in Hollywood where we would have the game and we would all start off with like $5,000 in chips and play like 510 Annie, you know, have a really fun time, whatever the case might be. So we're at this game and uh, they've been playing for a while and, you know, they got the food and the girl serving and all that stuff, you know, the type of all the games. And I... I've been involved in those games for years. Um, not now, because you've got to make sure they're legal. Of course. Of yes, course. of course. So at this one game, which was a home game, they said, oh, we're going to change it now. You can buy in for whatever you want. So Toby buys in for $200,000. Oh, my God. A very famous actor buys in for $75,000. Um, Joe Francis from Girls Gone Wild was there. He bought in for $75,000. I only brought ten grand with me, right? So I got the $5,000 in chips on the table. I lose the whole 5000 on the second hand. So I put in my second bullet, right? And the game just got really big. It was like 25, 50 Annie, and it started going crazy. I became a, what they call a nit, where I just played tight. And I wound up winning you know, my money back and a oh. few extra. But I decided that, that game was too big. Hmm. Because um, you gotta know, you gotta win like you used to, it lose like it doesn't bother you. If you wanna play with money, you can't afford to lose, right? And I played some big poker games, but I realized the game was getting too big and you don't win all the time. So I kinda like grew out of that realm. Hmm. And a lot of those guys went on to play in Molly's Game, you know, which I love that movie. You know, Jessica Chastain, she's one of my favorite actors. Yeah, yeah. But um, yeah, that whole life. I even had, a, I even had in 2000, what was it? 2005, I was starting to win, you know, good tournaments. You know, if you look me up on Card Player, you can, like a tennis player, you can put in my name, you yeah, see all the yeah, money I've won. you're pretty good, you're pretty good. Yeah, I've got titles and stuff like that. I'm going down to the Bahamas the end of the month for Poker Stars to announce their big tournament and then it's a $25,000 entry to play the tourney and the first prize is 45 million four to five million I can't wait to play that one plus enjoy the Bahamas Sick. so that, that's my poker excursion coming up not bad 
But I had a poker room at the Luxor Hotel. It was the Bruce Buffer High Stakes oh, Poker Room. Oh, sick. There's only six people that ever had a poker room named after them in Vegas, I think, and uh, six or seven. And I don't know who I fooled, but I had my own poker room back in like 2005. <laughs> they were selling glasses with my image on it and T-shirts and everything in the store across. It was, it was, again, we get back to these memories, these things that you go through in life. And it's just so cool to be part of that kind of stuff. That's so cool, man. But poker's like the mentally like business, mentally like fighting. You got to know when to be offensive. You got to know when to be defensive. Mm. You got to know when to put somebody to a choice. Getting, going all in against somebody in poker is like going in to knock somebody out in boxing, right? Or in fighting. And two things are going to happen. You're either going to knock them out or you're going to get knocked yeah, out. Okay? Sure. It's, it's knowing, knowing when to move and shake. I love the mental similarities. Poker's a mind game. And I like like you with your rhyme games. I like <laughs> It's so funny. You got to know when to hold them. Kind of like you with your rhyme game. And you got to play the player, not the cards. Yeah. And uh, when to fold them. You got to know when to fold them. I'm the exact opposite of you. I just like to watch the little ball bounce around. Really? I, play I love it. I don't. I don't. You think like roulette? That's yeah. like the worst odds in the house, except I for the black and white it. bets, red and white, red and black bets. He I likes blackjack it. too, which is obviously the much better and probably close to the best. But the way that ball clinks, clink, 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 it's fun. Clink, I know it's and fun. Just, you, and when it lands in your number, it's it's been. It's been one of my most successful games. In, then stick with it. Yeah. The win is still mad at us for that one night, dude. There's, they will not give me a room. What'd you take him down at? It was like 120,000. Great. Like but I started with like 10. Yeah. It was no, a big, that's a great, that's a great grab. Great get. Got yeah. tip, I kept got hitting us. numbers. I put like a thousand on numbers and just hit all of them. Rest assured, the wind is not losing sleep. For no, they're not. No, 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 no. They're not no, losing they, sleep. They, but they, but they, they yeah, they were comping us, us everything. And what happened? They was, don't want you to win. No, correct. So when you take them big, what they want is they'll bring you back under the assumption that the next time you come back, you're going to lose it all back. He came back and didn't play a hand. He didn't play one time. We were there for three nights. He was in the biggest, the parlor suite or the the uh, whatever it's called, and he did not freaking play a single hand. That's today versus <laughs> the old days. I've been gambling in Vegas since 1972. Right. Okay. Uh, when, I, when I said, no, not 72, I first time I went there was in 72 with my parents, but again, statute of limitations, but I was playing blackjack at 18 years old because right. my dad would, you know, my dad was a big blackjack player. So he was a, he was a boss player at the Riviera hotel back then, which yeah, is the sure. big hotel from casino movie yep. and all that type of stuff. But this is back when these guys ran town, Absolutely. right? And I'm telling you, it's a different world back then mm. because we would go in and dad would play and, you know, we would play, but it was all about dad. But then they call back and fly you in first class, give you the Frank Sinatra suite. They didn't care if you played or not. You'd have Delmonico's and dinners. And if you didn't play, it, then all of a sudden one day I check in when I was going on my own and I got this little piece of paper. So you need to play four hours average of $150 a hand oh, to get, and it just ruined my whole attitude. Uh, because it used to be just like everything else in life about relationships, real relationships. Now you're an algorithm. You're a piece of the algorithm. No, the, bean the bean counters came in and took yeah, it off. It's yeah. crazy. It's but crazy. it was a different world back then. But I mean, poker, but poker, unlike the other games, is just timeless. Like these LA games that you're talking about, and I don't know how long it's been since you played. We don't have to discuss that. They, they are they're still all, they're all going on. Everywhere. And Molly's game is not with Molly, but still very much exists. And the girls are there, and the food is. I mean, it's an LA poker game is a is a legendary, iconic thing. My house, I have a room dedicated to poker. I have my own poker room. And before COVID, I would have a game like once every month or two. You know, bring in all my buddies. We'd have a great game. Get the servers. Bring in mm. the gourmet food, mm. and just have a Molly's game night. Yeah, but that's a home game. That's Wait, is that, is that? Yeah, uh, where does it get illegal? 
if you where the illegal part is is if you have a game and you rake what they call mm -hmm. rake the table the rake yeah then you're acting like which you that's illegal what is rake the table let's table. say the pot the happens house. the pot happens and you pull out 50 bucks or five percent or whatever percent, yeah. whatever the house says oh because you're then you're a business you're, you're yeah, treating it business. like a casino yeah that's illegal yeah. oh so soprano without that with if it's just a bunch of boys each betting 100k if you have your boys come in you can play a home game you can put whatever you want oh. on the table but if you rake the table then you're you're being illegal you're doing an you're, what if they tip you what if they tip their tips are, well obviously the girls at work usually work on tips and you know uh yeah, tipping's fine. Wasn't that what happened in Molly's game? She, when she started hers, there was no, it wasn't a rake. And then she started yeah. to rake it, right? And, and that's, that's why she, she got in trouble. That's yeah. why she got in trouble, yeah. yeah. Uh, Bruce, you're not married? No. Do you have a kid? I'm, uh, I've almost been divorced twice, never married. And you know, looking back. <laughs> <laughs> All kidding aside. No, I don't, but I, I don't have any children of my own. But um, my partner, Kristen, in my business, uh, she met an amazing man named Chris and they got married. And again, got to remember, we're working in a home office. We're together five days a week. So she um, gave birth to her first son, Henry, who's here with me now. And she, I was honored because she asked me, because um, we're, we're family. And she's like, he's like my family, the sister I never had, is the way I look at her. It's, oh. it's just amazing. She's an amazing woman. Um, so I was honored and asked to be godfather, and I, I grabbed it. Oh, and no way. Oh, so, cool. And then uh, she gave birth to Rupert, who I consider like my nephew. But I mean, I, I take great pride in the fact that, you know, I, you guys can answer. I think I had some effect on you growing up a little bit. <laughs> oh, Is that cool. why they were selling me shit outside? <laughs> <laughs> no, but I mean, it's, it's, it's one of the greatest things, the most beautiful things I ever had is my relationship with their mother, Kristen, and, her, and their dad, Chris. But the fact that I can take pride in knowing that I helped, you know, I mean, let's put it this way. For the first two to three years, they're coming to the office every day. Their dad's out at the office working five days a week. I'm feeding him, changing an occasional diaper, helping him. I mean, Henry, I have a video of Henry taking his first steps and he was holding my hand. Oh, no way. You've been with these kids. Yeah, this is, this is, this is, oh. I mean, the whole time. Because when you came in, you introduced them as your boys. And then I was like, oh, I didn't know you had sons. Well, they could also be, you know, <laughs> we got to get down. They my, gotta, boys. Yeah, my boys. My boys, <laughs> yeah. My boys. Okay. Okay. But that surprises me, actually. I feel like you should be a person to have a, a kid of your own. I mean, you, you essentially kind of do, but um, that just never. It's the one thing that um, I regret in my life is that I didn't have, you know, a child mm. to get to my mom and my dad and uh, to have a little, you know, buffer running around. Mm. So if you can say if I haven't a regret in my life, but also, you know, I wanted to meet the right woman. So there's there's kind of a, a duality there. And what was the whole, because these questions always kind of affect me. And at my age now, I'm not really, I'm not interested in having a baby now at my age. Cut. Got it, got it. Because I'm I'm 37 now, and so like I'm kind of like in that place where I'm like, shit, I gotta pull the trigger soon. And I was always in the same boat of like, oh, I want to find like the the perfect setting and the perfect this and the perfect that. But like, I I don't know. I, I guess like a part of me kind of is like, yo, I could. Well, you're 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 saying one thing that I've kind of like maybe that's caused me to lose out a little bit. The word perfect. Yeah, it's very hard to find. It's perfect. so hard. You should. But you want to be happy. Yeah. Right. Perfection is not always a hundred percent constant is something we strive for you know well what stopped you from like getting to the point where you were uh like happy like you talked about your uh two and a half men uh charlie sheen lifestyle That's my joke a, a, okay but a little bit i'm sure there's like some truth in it right so like what was your uh like non-desire inability to like settle down ever an issue like was that a thing or 
I, when I started on uh, the pathway at 36, 37 in the sports and entertainment world, I mean, I just started really enjoying everything I was doing, traveling the world mm, yeah. and, and living that lifestyle. And that kind of took me away. There were, without going into detail, there were a couple of family situations that I really had to pay a lot of attention to be there for my mom and my dad, sure. um, especially as my dad got older. So I can make all the, I don't call them excuses, but whatever. It just, it just didn't happen. Does Michael you know? have kids? Yes. He has two sons. Okay. Okay. So One's a tattoo artist, owns his own place, tattooed from head to toe. <laughs> And the other's a journalist for a Pennsylvania newspaper. So the buffer legacy will live on. It will live on. But, you know, again, the greatest thing in the world would be to have that. Mm. It's not too late, though, or is it? It's not too late. It's not too late. But then again, you're how old? 27. Okay, you're you're 27. When you, the only difference between you and me is, is 48 years of life, you know? Is that right? No. No, no. Oh, oh, 30, 30, 30, 30, yeah, 38 years of life, which oh, there's man. no difference between you other than life's experiences. So it's just the path that did not occur. Um, I would have loved it. It would have been great. Mm. It would have been great to have uh, that that woman in my life to share that with and grow mm. with at the time. But uh, maybe I played a little too much. Maybe I worked a little too hard, whatever the case might be. I imagine, I imagine your lifestyle had to affect that in some way. Like you got to be a tough person to keep up with. You're always on the road, and if you're not on the road, I'm sure you're ADHDing on at home somewhere on businesses or what yeah, I'm always build next. I'm, like it's yeah, it's, well, yeah, it's a, and it's a, and it's a trade. I know how to relax. I'm a, I'm a good. Show. Okay, okay, okay. And it's that's and important. It's, it's a trade off, dude. Like any any parent will tell you that more than anything else, like having a kid is a is a trade. It's an exchange for time. You know what I'm saying? And and the time that you've put into your business and building your life and all those amazing experiences and poker games and things that you'll cherish and and hold in your soul forever potentially would have been a trade-off for the one thing that you think you're missing and so that thing could have been something else you'd you'd be missing something and so whatever the scenario is it's what it is you know it also has worked out fabulously yeah yeah it's all good good. (laughs) you know i think there's probably someone in your exact same position who has a far less accomplished resume who has the same wish you know but yeah. like but maybe they pissed off with their time and energy and you didn't yeah i was i very well put i um i've always looked for that perfection yeah you know and that's why i say it's it's not necessarily out there you know it is but it's not i'm trying to swing in the other direction at 37 i'm just spraying and praying at this point <laughs> <laughs> i'm gonna get i'm gonna get this kid dude i don't know who it's gonna be with but yeah it's but if you spray on the wrong fire you, you might not you might not like what comes well, so that. that's what i'm trying to do yeah. i'm trying to pick a little bit better so like my probability goes up just just know? keep a helmet on that soldier and, yeah. and make your decision yeah, yeah, helmet on sure. the that's so <laughs> funny sure. i heard about those things once but heard they're great dude <laughs> <laughs> no, but I, again, getting back to Henry and Rupert and, and my whole relationship, and we're, we're one big, you know, family. That's thing. awesome. So you so, got it. You got it anyways. At least I got that. Yeah, for sure. Yeah. yeah, definitely. So what's next for you, Bruce? Got some stuff coming up. I mean, I mean, I know about the bourbon. I know about the It's Time Energy. Mm. I brought you a couple of gifts. Yeah, Ooh. yeah. Yeah. Oh, I forgot about the gifts. I'd like my gifts now. Right. <laughs> I'd like to get those now. Wow. <laughs> this is this bourbon is Puncher's Chance, which is what you're oh, all about. Yeah, 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 yeah. You sent you sent me some of this. Yeah. So th- this is um uh we have a 12 year reserve that just came out, a 14 year reserve, single barrel coming out. Um, we've been out for two years. We're considered uh one of the fastest, highest rated bourbons, selling fa- highest rated bourbons in America. Sick. I've won six gold medals, wow. three for design of the bottle, three for the taste. 
And we just got voted by the bourbon spectators the top five best sipping bourbon in America. Wow. No way. At his wow. price range. Congrats, man. So I'm very excited. I'm going to show Connor how to do it the proper way. So, you know, just basically. <laughs> wow. Oh my God. Love you, Connor. Just had to give you a little. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> That's awesome. So that this is actually a very cool business to be in. I really enjoy it. How it's, come? Well, there's a lot of money to be made. Yeah. But it's also, I don't back any product unless I believe in it. Mm. I was approached by a tequila company and I was approached by a Kasasha rum, Kasasha rum company out oh, of Brazil. Nice. And I didn't like the products and I didn't like the business acumen of the people. So that yeah. immediately, eh, they threw a bunch of money. I mean, I'm like, eh, no, it's not going to work. Um, it's nice to be able to make that choice. I think that's the most important thing. I think a lot of uh, celebrity influencer, whatever brands fail because the product fucking sucks it sucks and you and since you care since you really care, i put, it, I put my work behind you it feel it yeah but that no. also blends in more with fighting too like what that that rum is what are you gonna drink it what are they called caipirinhas uh, yeah the national yeah drink of Brazil. i'll They're find out when i go to Brazil, uh, rio in two weeks oh nice <laughs> but um anyway just i love the name but when i drank it when they tasted it I, my partners were behind campari and and sammy hager's cabawawa tequila oh, and yeah. skinny girl i'm Sharp. very successful people Sharp. and i have a distillery in kentucky i'm doing this all first class cool and uh, the name got me, but when I tasted the sweet nectar of the bourbon gauze, I mean, it's just, it's so good. Yeah, 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 yeah. I brought this, whether you want to, I bought it. Right Yo, now. imagine I if you had right have done now, something yeah. with this around their WWE, if I land that one lucky, lucky puncher's punch. chance for. <laughs> <laughs> you all, uh, we'll send you an invoice. <laughs> we just straight off. <laughs> and so, uh, I'm proud of this, and, and this is not in, in competition, because you're hydration, right? Well. But you're going to be coming out with energy, I'm sure. Well, we just launched it. Okay, that's cool. Yesterday. That's cool. So, so that's actually blurred out the whole time. <laughs> no, 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 please. Oh, no, like just you kidding, said, Bruce, we're here to amplify. Yeah. We're here to amplify. And 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 honestly, we're brand, we're brand new. So. Oh, that's cool. That's cool. I'm not even out in the United States yet. <laughs> oh, we, we're, we're. we test marketed in England. I'm, I'm going into 40 countries. Nice. Uh, we test market in England, and, and it's 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 selling extremely well. Amazing. We're coming here in February or March. Um, it'll be everywhere. But the thing I love about it is is that it's all natural, no sugar. Uh, the caffeine comes from uh, uh, green coffee beans. You know, it's full of amino acids, vitamin B12s. And the the head of Asada, Justin Visky, he loves it. He's like, you can drink four cans of this today and have no crash. Oh, shit. Like That's, you do. That, anyways, for Prime, and it's I'm just relating to prime because it's what Who i can relate to. to with that is uh is i think the model that people nowadays are more attracted to yeah. um better for you health yeah health and that's i'm all about health yeah you know so there's different <coughs> markets to go after there's the truck driver market that wants all the you know the rocket fuel and then there's the health market mm -hmm, mm -hmm. this i'm yeah. very proud of <laughs> this is um i have a line of toiletries coming out so you can wake up and uh wash your body wash put on the cologne which mm. this is is the mm. it's time cologne mm. and open it up and check it out this is for you damn mike this is for you i'm gonna come home smelling good well, my, my girl's gonna say who are you trying to impress I this is so honey. your girl's gonna love it women love this trust me me and george are gonna, me and george are gonna split this by the way me and george are gonna split both oh, you gotta love this bruce yeah it's you're good with your products it's man. very central i work out oh. Oh, damn. I'm, I'm feeling myself right now. Oh, this is a nice. You want to know one thing I noticed about you? You're damn good at packaging, bro. This is These are all really freaking sharp packaging. Well, you remember when you walk in a store, the first thing you can see is the visual. Yeah, so you want to yeah, grab yeah, them. Yeah, yeah. Oh, the parfum. So this is going to be this is going to be Ooh. everywhere again. Yeah, it's very central. Makes me want to fuck myself. <laughs> well, you do that enough. So Winning. Stop. <laughs> 
This is great. What's what's cute is like Rupert. I gave him a bottle. It was like what is it, like two months later. He went, he needs another bottle. I mean, he's putting it on before oh, he goes to school. Late yeah, now, yeah, yeah. Rupert. Let's go, right now. How much are you spraying? Oh, Persian. How much cologne are you putting on? Hey, he's young. He's spraying a lot. I'm sure. <laughs> oh, he say he wants us to defend. He dropped it. He dropped it on the ground. You know when you you know when you first got deodorant, like you're. Well, I was probably. What, oh, 12, you wear it every old. day. What was yours? What was yours? Yeah, old remember? spice. Old spice. Do I know what mine was? When I was when I was in high school, Abercrombie and Fitch was the biggest. <laughs> no it was way. the biggest clothing no way. And cologne. <laughs> clothing both and cologne. Them, both of them. And now I've done I've done commercials for uh, Manscape. You know, yeah, we have to. I was manscaping in my twenties. Okay, I mean, I guys didn't even know what it was. I thought girls want to look good for me. I want to look good for them. You're I mean, way ahead of your time. Way ahead. Holy, way smokes. ahead. That skin safe patented oh, technology on the manscape yeah. is incredible. It the it is quite literally. I found it at least impossible for myself to cut my penis off with that thing. It is very hard. Well, you're at your age. It is great. It's got this I like concur. porcelain. Um, yeah. yeah, it's amazing. Rupert's gonna kill me. I'm sorry, Rupert. I gotta say it. He texted me like about a month ago. He goes. I really, I really could use one of those manscapes now. <laughs> so, so it was like a Christmas thing. I gave him. They text me later that night or the next day. He goes, "I feel really fresh." Yeah, 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 yeah. that's what it is. You sure. know? He didn't need it till he started wearing this. <laughs> well, you started, wake up. Started the matter. Smell like buff. Drink like buff. Get energy. Whatever. Buff I, life. I love it, dude. <laughs> oh, I'm kidding, guys. I'm just joking around. That's this is awesome, dude. Bruce, that's all I got for you, man. That's a great lot. show. This is uh, this I, has been such a pleasure. Yeah. Thank oh, it's you. a pleasure for me too, an honor too. I really appreciate it. I'm so excited to Thanks continue too. watching you bring so much energy to the UFC, and now in a roundabout way, we're partners, sort of. So I'll be seeing you a <laughs> yeah. lot, and uh, yeah, man. Hopefully, we can do some cool stuff. We're gonna get mad. No, let's work on that. Let's do it. Let's do it together. And then, if there's any chance when you do one of your big uh, rumble things for one of your bouts, I'll do a one-off. I would love that. I'll come. In. I would also love that, man. Um, where can they follow you on social media? Uh, follow me on Instagram at Bruce Buffer UFC and Twitter Bruce Buffer and just uh, uh, go to BruceBuffer.com. Everything's there. Love it. Amazing. Shout out to your boys in the back. Thanks for coming, guys. And boys. Uh, thank you guys for listening to this episode of Impulsive. We love you. Hit that subscribe button. We'll see you next time. Take it easy. Peace.